podcast has bad words. <laughs> happy anniversary ryan happy anniversary man oh my god and by the way we're recording this on ryan's 39th birthday my mom thank you so much happy birthday to you i didn't mean to interrupt your happy birthday. ryan hates birthdays i I was i was a little like you forget because you've forgotten before yeah i have forgotten before i did not forget my mom sends me a text yesterday although i guess it would have been like 1 a.m her time Okay, that counts. So uh, that counts. Um, and it's always your birthday somewhere. That's right. And she was like, "Happy fortieth birthday! Can you believe you've turned 40? <laughs> I was like, "How dare you? How dare you?" <laughs> she wasn't messing with you either. No, no. Um, she just, she was just. It was just one in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, in Ohio. Yeah, in Ohio, and she probably just wasn't uh, thinking clearly. But uh, I'm like, I just responded back. I'm like, I'm 39, dork. I, I I thought I, for, I forgot yesterday because I I went to bed last night at like eight o'clock right and got up at two this morning I woke up at about three o'clock and I'm like oh my god I think I missed Ryan's birthday yesterday and he didn't even say anything and, <laughs> like it, I was with him like all morning yesterday and and he didn't even mention but of course you're not gonna mention it's your birthday you're 39 years old yeah you know oh. I felt bad I was like I and, but then I, I and I'm like why do I feel bad like I treat Ryan good all the time like I don't buy him birthday gifts right um in fact, if I got you a birthday gift, I, I, it almost feels at this point like it'd be insulting. I think one day you are, for the joke, you're going to like get me a tie clip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, that's the only appropriate gift I can get you is something that's so absurd. Right. But it had to be something like really, like a Lamborghini or something. Right, right. I, Ryan, I saved up for 17 years for this, <laughs> this elaborate birthday gift. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dude. No, I, uh, it's, it's strange because growing up Jehovah's Witness, you don't celebrate holidays. You don't celebrate birthdays birthdays um so birthdays have never been that important to me but they're it's weird as soon as i get the first happy birthday Mm -hmm. there's something triggering me it's like looking at likes on twitter when when i when i put something out there i'm like oh how many likes did that get yeah and then all of a sudden i start to tally up like how many people have wished me a happy birthday but i truly don't care Mm. it's so weird like there is this two simultaneous feelings i have on my birthday of like it's i don't care but i'm supposed to care yeah yeah that could be it, uh, it the, the funny thing is on my birthdays which is june 29th so i'm mm-hmm. i'm uh, a few months older than you yeah what is that like four months yeah um this is a math podcast <laughs> july august <laughs> four months yeah <laughs> so um on my birthday yes i dread looking at my phone in the morning because i know there's going to be so many birthday texts happy birthday texts yeah and and but at the same time i i'm there's a piece of me a very small piece unfortunately mm-hmm. that i'm working on expanding that is appreciative and wants that and cares that other people care it just feels it feels misguided because it feels obligatory, right? Yeah. It, it, it feels like, well, I'm supposed, Facebook notified me that today is, is, you know, you've gone around the sun another 365 times. Right. And uh, social media has made me aware of that or my Google calendar or whatever. Yeah. And now 
here we are, uh, another another year older, and I need to congratulate you for surviving another year. Like I don't, are, yeah. but truthfully, no, it can be a celebration, and that's what I want to do today. We're we're celebrating. It's yes. ten years of the minimalists. Yes, five of the podcast. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, dude, time has gone by so quickly. Ten years ago, what were we doing? Ten years ago, we were. Uh, I got laid off. We were in Dayton. You we're weren't Dayton. laid off yet. No, you were nine years ago. You were laid off. Oh yeah, that's true. I was just. That's right. I had my my corporate job for almost another year after we launched the the website. Ten years ago, I was still there as well. So yeah. December, we'll set the scene. Mm-hmm. December. So we already set the scene. October twenty third, nineteen eighty one, or nineteen eighty, <laughs> according to your mother. Um, you were born. Yes. In Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I was born in Dayton, Ohio a few months previous to that. And we both grew up poor. We met in the fifth grade. Went through high school together. Went through corporate America together. Mm-hmm. Everyone here knows our story at this point. Approaching age 30. So this is December 2010. Yeah. We are both going to be 30 the next year. So we're both 29 at the time. Yeah. We're both 39 right now. Yeah. 29 at the time. We're both working in the corporate world. We had climbed the corporate ladder. I uh, managed a bunch of retail stores. You did business marketing, yada, yada, yada for uh, a good chunk of those retail stores. Mm-hmm. And and we're both experienced a lot of discontent. Mm. You want to talk about some of the drug stuff that led up to there? Because um, it didn't make the film. So oh, yeah. you're going to have to wait till the book comes out uh, <laughs> next year. Uh, yeah, but I talk about it enough, man. Uh, when dude the drug stuff started at junior high man sure it did but yeah. it, it just like the 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 consumerism started in junior high as well yeah, or sooner than that yeah well at work it was like yeah i mean it was just an easy way to wind down um it was always a celebratory thing too it's weird because like i didn't I mean, maybe I was covering up stress mm-hmm. was definitely covering up stress so I was right. hiding from that. Uh, probably was hiding from a lot of insecurities that I had because every time I would do drugs, I felt like there was this lie I told myself where after I had an interaction with someone, I would be like, man, like I'm such a better like conversationalist because of the drugs. When I'm on drugs and people like the drugged up version of Ryan better than they like. Cause, and it's, and it's interesting because even now when I think back of, um, Oh, I don't know, man. Like one time I was with my ex-girlfriend. I'll give you two examples of of why this was like affirmed in my head. I was with my girlfriend. She was just laying into me with Mm -hmm. like whatever she would lay into me about. Um, I will will change the names to protect the innocent. Uh (laughs) No. um, Yeah. uh, uh, And I was being very patient. (laughs) And... We got through the conversation. Conversation. Uh-huh. You, and I, you were done being yelled at. Yes. The next, and I was like, I was totally high. And then the next day she was like, she's like, man, if we could just have interactions like that, you know, all the time, if you could just, you know, be patient with me like that all the time, like we'll be together forever. And I was thinking like the only reason I could handle you was because I was on drugs. But so like that was like, this affirmation of like, I'm a better person when I'm on drugs. And then, uh, one other time that stands out, um, 
went to like a happy hour cocktail thing because that's what you do in Dayton, Ohio. Like, right. I mean, it's so funny how like that. There's a there's like a happy hour culture. I guess there's a happy hour culture everywhere. Pretty much everywhere. But yeah, there was a, a especially one in the business world yeah. in southwestern Ohio. Yeah. So I hung on a cat happy hour. Uh, I was high. The next day, I was talking to a, a woman who was, uh, she worked in one of the other businesses, and, and I ran into her, and she was like, hey, it was really nice meeting you, or nice seeing you last night, and she was like, you know, I just got to tell you, my husband thinks, like, you're the coolest dude. Like, he just, he just, like, when we, when we went home after last night, man, he was just, he could not stop talking about how cool of a dude Ryan Nicodemus was. And like, again, so there's like this affirmation of like, well, that's because I was on drugs and there might actually be a, um, you know, it definitely changes my personality, but, uh, but you know, I I guess those are more exceptions than they are the rule. Um, What do you mean? Oh, like change your personality. How? Oh, uh, just more relaxed, more laid back, more easygoing, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it was hard. It was hard, like accepting or not accepting, but learning that, um, you know, like, hey, Ryan, you can be liked, and you could still be cool, mm-hmm. and people can still think you're a cool dude. Yeah. Without the drugs. Yeah. But it was very hard to get there, man. It was really hard to get there. Yeah, and and so we were in the corporate world. I'll get us back to that in oh, a second no. because I think that's. I really do want to talk to you about that. Uh, Jordan, can you give me that piece of paper just so I can write down a few notes so I'm not forgetting the things I want to... Take this down. <laughs> Dear Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> um, we well, weren't here the other day. I had to record a, a, um, a Santa Claus warning. Uh, oh, it was yeah. Because you had the, the thing, the sty on your eye, and, and yeah. you were in here, so I, I, I did the Santa Claus warning by myself, and it... It was something about how, you know... I think we're going to get LASIK, man. The, oh. o- the only reason we're doing this is because uh, you know, Sean's daughter is 17 and he still hasn't had the Santa conversation <laughs> with her. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, uh, the year is 2010. It's December. Mm-hmm. I, uh, December 3rd in particular um, the uh, I, I, is when I had the first conversation with my boss about wanting to leave the corporate world. Yeah, dude, we went bowling that day. Uh, it's when he told me no yeah, as well. Yeah, that. we did go bowling. It was like a holiday get-together for managers and stuff, right? Yeah. And yeah, so all the, the corporate big wigs went bowling for a day mm-hmm. instead of working, um, which would have been nice if like we weren't still like on our Blackberries every four minutes right. responding to stuff and sending status updates and holiday numbers. And Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I... I, I Tell him that I'm like want to walk away from the corporate world. I've, uh, we've been, we, you and I had been working on starting the website. It hadn't launched or anything mm-hmm. yet, yeah. but we had a, a sort of version put together. We'd been writing. Your packing party was a few months previous to that. It yeah. was September of 2010. <laughs> Do you remember the first essay I wrote no, while I was in the corporate world? And I it, don't. It said something about like, uh, I'm living the corporate dream. But it's a nightmare, and I want to wake up from it. Oh wow! And like, but you took some of that out because I was still working for the company. Oh yeah, and, and you were like, uh, "You're gonna get fired for this, right?" Uh-huh. Which I eventually did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, so when I asked my boss about like, because we were doing some restructuring and stuff, and 
he he said basically i told him i wanted to leave and he said no yeah. um, i'm like wait a minute I, can he tell me this <laughs> oh no i can't leave. i can't leave <laughs> it's like uh the mafia yeah the corporate mafia mm. Uh, that could be the title of this episode, although I think we're going to call it As the Decade Fades yeah. because, yeah, that's uh, that's Jordan no more <laughs> there. <thing>, yes. <laughs> um, I wrote a book in my 20s called As a Decade Fades, uh, published it when I was 30, and uh, it was about you know, struggling through uh, my 20s, although it was through a, a fictional character, obviously, mm. right? Yeah. And so today what I wanted to do with this, instead of writing a book, we're having a conversation about this decade fading Be- oh my god because it's been a decade for us it's also was i mean it lined up pretty nicely with you know, the last decade the teens mm-hmm. we can call it that i guess mm-hmm. and now we're in the 20s we're starting a new decade we're also getting ready to start a new decade by going into our 40s next year yeah in 2021 in fact i turned 40 two weeks before our next book comes out yeah um damn yeah man we are we have done so much over the last ten years. I feel like I've lived a lifetime over oh the pa- over the past thirty nine years now. <laughs> no, I feel like I've lived a lifetime over the past ten years. Like the, you know, knock on wood, uh, you know, I could like die and um, I wouldn't feel like. I was I missed out on something. I agree with that, know? man. Especially, I mean, so especially more, because these last ten years. Yeah, there's so much more I want to do. Like, I'd love to visit every single continent. I am. Uh, Africa and Antarctica are the two that I haven't been on. Yeah, um, I would lo- I would love to do. Yeah, so there are things like that where it, it just you know would love to see more of the world, and I would love to see Sea World. And yeah, <laughs> are they still around? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think they have fish anymore though, or dolphins. Yeah. It's just uh, plants. Took away all the fun stuff. Aquatic. Did plants. they take away all the fun stuff? That's funny. No, they took away yeah. all the, the no, hi- so, hideous so, atrocities to <laughs> animal rights. I know. I'm so yeah. I really am glad that they have changed their tune with that stuff. All right. Anyway, uh, there's a lot I still want to do, but um, I'm grateful for what I, what we've been able to do over the last ten years. And if that's it for me, um, then you know I would be. I would feel okay. Yeah. I'm like trying not to wish death on myself right no, now. I, no, let's just say like if uh, for whatever reason this is all we had the ability to contribute, we'd feel like we had contributed a lot. Yeah. And um, I, I'm totally there with you. When did you realize you were getting old? Um, I'll tell you when I realized it. Yeah, you tell me when you realize it. I still feel like a kid. You know, like when <laughs> they're mopping out in the hallway or whatever, or it, you, know, you see a, a like a caution wet floor sign yes i started actually uh heeding their warning because <laughs> you didn't want to fall i'm like as a kid though you run past those <laughs> signs i've seen ella fall on top of one of those signs before <laughs> <laughs> slide right into it like it's second base that's great and uh no with me i realized like especially because i'm so tall it, it feels like such a long drop <laughs> oh no when i look down you're I'm, scared of falling yeah I'm i broke stand- my back dude <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, seriously no what i'm saying you can handle a fall is what i'm trying to well, say well i'm saying i broke my back oh, once remember yeah, I, when i was 13 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right, and right. i was this height when i was 13 too and so um yeah that's when i i knew i was i was getting older uh mm. was as i was being more cautious around i'm like oh no like i, I was walking on it like it was an ice rink Wow. I don't feel old, man. I mean, there are things I notice because I'm getting older, like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I would be able to 
just you know three or four years ago um let's say i was in ireland and uh uh like i was at this this conference and people wanted to stay up till four in the morning at, at the pub and you know like i could have done that three or four years ago and then got up the next day and been totally fine we're like now i'll have like two or three drinks and yeah. i wake up like knowing that i you know feeling like i had uh, not hung over but definitely feeling a little lethargic and energy so there are like <clears throat> food thank god foods hasn't like i know people get older and start to develop allergies and food starts to affect them differently so like i haven't had that happen yet but like with drinking specifically i've noticed like oh it's because like my body is getting older and it cannot process alcohol like it used to be able to process it right. which which is fine like i'm not you know i'm not bummed out about that but that's really the only thing that i can think of yeah, and you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to abuse yourself as much <laughs> right. as you used to. Yeah, I, I tweeted out something this morning. I'm sure some people are going to get upset by it, but it was really a note to myself, and, and it was, "Don't treat people as poorly as you treat yourself." Yeah. Now, I, I hate giving advice in the second person. Mm -hmm. It's almost always. Uh, a collective we or I mm -hmm. because I, I don't like being prescriptive that way. I don't think prescri specific prescriptions really work. It's the reason you and I don't do the seven steps to Decluttering. declutter quickly yeah. or something. Um, but be, that's good advice though, man. What? Yeah, don't don't yeah. treat others as poorly as you treat yourself. And, and what I mean by that is I think too often, you know, we do things to ourselves that you wouldn't do to people you've loved, that 100%. you care about. Yeah. And think, and I, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Think about to 10 years ago, end of 2010, you and I were doing things we wouldn't wish upon other people. Yeah. The level of stress, the level of anxiety, mm -hmm. and the level of uncertainty. We hear about job security. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It was, it was job imprisonment. Mm. Prisons are secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? Yeah. But prisons are also a trap. You're, you're trapped there. And I was trapped by the walls. I built my own prison walls. Ooh, like uh, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, a, in fact, very similar. It was a very well-decorated uh, prison. But right. a well-decorated prison is still a prison. Yeah. And the difference with Pablo is he was actually in charge of the prison. Right. I wasn't in charge of the prison. Ooh, yeah. That's a good point. You and I had a boss that was not good to us. Yeah. He, he was um, he was a troubled person himself, and he was suffering, and he took that suffering out on the people around him. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can have compassion for him now. In fact, I, I have I, very quickly, within the first couple of years, I found a lot of gratitude for him because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have stayed as long, or I wouldn't have left as quickly as I did. I, yeah. Uh, because I knew I needed to make some sort of change. It was untenable, that path. So people probably know the story. I'll go through it really quickly. Um, it, uh, I was asked for the holiday season after the holiday shopping season, we were gonna have to close eight of my stores, lay off 42 employees. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to wait till after Christmas though, because mm -hmm. it was the compassionate thing to do. Uh, <laughs> well, no, we're going to make you work through Christmas basically. Yeah. And we're going to, yeah, this is our biggest money making month. Yeah, exactly. So, it yeah. wasn't actually compassionate. So, uh, I had to lay off 42 people, close eight stores. I had done it before, not at that scale. I, I had... Um, closed the store here, a store there. Obviously, I'd laid off or fired hundreds of employees. So, like, that mm -hmm. was not 
difficult for me. It, it was never fun or mm -hmm. exciting. I never look forward to it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not some sort of uh, sadist, but they asked me to do it. So I put together the plan. They said, you have two weeks to put it together. I put it together in two days. Mm -hmm. um, basically went home that night and did the majority of it. And what I realized mm -hmm. is like, you're going to lay off 42 people based and close eight stores based on the stats, right? You, right. you look at the numbers on the spreadsheet. Yeah. They fall where they may. That's who you get rid of. Mm -hmm. But I realized that as I looked at these names on the sheets, it, it wasn't just you know Alex and Matt and whoever. Like It was... It wasn't just a bunch of ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. It's like looking at a rainbow in grayscale. You, you, it doesn't do anything for you. And you look at these people. It's like, oh, this is a husband, a father. You know, uh, this this is a person with a real life and hobbies and aspirations and desires and needs. And I have to take that away from them. And I realized, like. I knew what I had been doing because I had been a minimalist for over a year at that point. Mm -hmm. My mom died October of uh, 2009. Yeah. And that was the same time. I just, Next month is when I ran into minimalism, right? Yeah. Colin Wright, Leo Babalta, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And went so I started the minimalism thing right away. It took me about eight months to simplify throughout most of 20. 10 and that's when you came to me it was like that summer basically and mm -hmm. eventually the packing party happened in september i'm questioning everything about my career at this point but of course i'm still tethered to this lifestyle mm. and so i'm paying off bills trying to to not be in debt and at the same time I'm talking to you about the whole simplifying thing yeah. and you it seemed to me that the big benefit for you was like oh i'm not I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. And I thought I was going to be. Mm -hmm. I've been chasing happiness and it's been eluding me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a matter of getting some time back and getting out of debt. I mean, that's, that's really what I saw with minimalism. Because yes, like you said, I mean, I was incredibly unhappy. Um, thought I would be happy. Drugs weren't working anymore. So it was like I needed to change my life. I needed to start living my life with different rules, with a different philosophy. So, yeah, this is uh, 10 years later. <laughs> I'm still doing it. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah, I just remember, you know, always telling myself, hey, Ryan, if you work hard enough and if you save enough, you can retire early. And, you know, in order to save, you got to make more money. But. I wasn't saving. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit in my 401k, you know, 1% or something. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, I had, I had no, I wasn't even close to being able to retire early and um, yeah, just chasing the wrong things. The packing party, that was an amazing perspective shift. Like I am so grateful for having that revelation of oh, like, oh wow, here are tens of thousands of dollars of things that I've purchased. None of this is in my savings account. It's all just sitting in my living room right now, boxed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, man. And then, yeah, and that led to me selling my condo and- Your car. Getting my, yeah, getting rid of my car payment. And um, it's amazing the, the weight- Well, you got rid of your car of too, debt. it wasn't just yeah. the payment. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I traded. You gave me your mom's car, basically, the yeah. 2004 Toyota Corolla. Right. Um, yeah, man. I uh, 
yeah, I got, I'm, I'm like so grateful for being able to get out of that. Try, like putting myself back in the corporate days, being in my condo, um, I just, how lonely it was. And, uh, man, it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of emotion, um, that, 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 that stirs up. Let's talk about that loneliness because you tried to compensate for that. Lo- instead of sitting with the loneliness, being with it, embracing it, because mm-hmm. real, I think real power comes from our ability to be alone mm-hmm. to, to many ex- extents. Uh, when I say alone, I mean, I'm alone all the time, but I'm often not alone when I'm doing, it, I'm reading a book or mm-hmm. I'm, uh, watching a movie or I'm, I'm uh, listening to a podcast or reading an article on the internet. That's not being alone. Right. That's, that's being alone with controlled interference in yeah. a way, but you interfered with your own life with, um, uh, the, the same way many of us do with indulgences, right? Mm-hmm. So your indulgences were, we talked about drugs already. Drugs, alcohol, women. Yeah. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Yeah, that was one for me too. Food, yeah. Um, And these are sort of like I don't know. We treat them as almost like entertainment in a way. Um, Mm. It's 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 dangerous entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. Not that women are are dangerous. Obviously, is the way that you were treating women. Not that you were, you know, it's not that you were a bad guy. Is that you were? um, Well, I'll let you talk about it. Well. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure where, where you're going with. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a. I, everything I did was, uh, yeah, there was nothing inherently wrong. I'm an adult; I can make my own decisions. Other people are adults; they can make their own decisions. So you know, I was never, yeah, there was nothing coercive. I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah. not suggesting that. It, it was the way that um, you didn't feel good. Is what I was going to say. You yeah. didn't feel good about the the life you were living in in many ways. Yeah. No, it was miserable, man. It was miserable. And I'm telling you, like, the debt is what triggered everything. Like, that was because we get, we go into debt in hopes that we can bring things into our lives that are going to augment our lives for the better and make us happier and whatever that means, whether it's uh, being envied by someone else or whether it's having, you know, something nice for ourselves, whatever it is. And then, yeah, uh, I had heaps of debt and it wasn't working. I was like, I need, if I don't do something, it's just going to get worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it did get worse until, you know, both of us sort of reached a, a breaking point. And we were talking about this yesterday when we were recording that episode with Matt Diavella, which yeah. will be out um, in a few weeks yeah. because we have a, our new documentary will be out on January 1st. And it's called Less Is Now, by the way, if you want to save it to your queue or whatever. Um, but we were talking with Matt about this. Like when you're a kid, you're, you're, you use building blocks, Legos or whatever to build something. But we often enjoyed the destroying, the tearing down those blocks, knocking it over and starting over more, much more than we do the building. However, this is the thing I didn't talk about on that episode. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about now. If someone else comes along and knocks it over, it's horrifying. Even if you were going to do the same thing, I remember my cousins doing that because, like, really? I spent so much time, oh, and then, like, my man. I remember her coming up, and I was like, "I was gonna destroy that. That's <laughs> mine to destroy." <laughs> <laughs> A memoir by Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> it's mine to destroy. Oh, so, so 
that you you and I both in 2010, 2011, for me it started in 2009, started knocking down the Lego set in yeah, a way. Yeah. The life we had built was no longer serving us. Mm. And I'll even say this, I didn't hate my job. Um, I don't know how you felt about yours. There were parts, there was a person that at the time I hated mm. um, because he was a tyrant. I don't hate him anymore. I've let go and, and forgiven and all of that. Yeah. But at the time, I, I held a, a dangerous amount of, of hatred toward this person. Yeah. And, and it was not good for me, right? And it wasn't good for relationships, wasn't good for working, but I didn't actually hate the job itself. Right. I enjoyed leading people. I just didn't enjoy everything else that went into it. I didn't enjoy the 80-hour obligations. I didn't enjoy the parts that didn't align with my values, selling 29 different metrics for which we were responsible. And uh, I didn't enjoy firing people. But there were things I did enjoy. I, I enjoyed building teams. I enjoyed helping people um, with their 401k and understanding how to save for the future, helping people understand uh, how to add value through the products and services we were selling. Yeah. Yeah, you helped me with that. Uh, I remember you walking me through the 401k stuff and actually the college tuition reimbursement stuff, Mm. which, what a jerk, man. You made me go to college. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so glad I got my degree. Um, It's funny because, like, it's it's just, uh, yeah, the degree is something that I, I think there, there might be one other family member who has a bachelor degree, like my my dad's sister. But on my mom's side, like no one has a college degree. Yeah. So it's like this, uh, and especially I got it at like 30 or 31. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, you know, kind of example of like, hey, look, it's never too late to like actually start something. But right. Um, let's talk about some, let's talk about happy things. Yeah, well, that's where I'm going with this. So yeah. 2010, December 14th. Mm-hmm. The minimalists.com launches, mm-hmm. which is uh, coincidentally the same week as the Wright brothers taking flight. Oh, wow. In Dayton, Ohio. Well, from Dayton, Ohio. They were actually in North Carolina, but don't tell anyone they were in <laughs> Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we launched the website and we start writing and 52 people show up the first month. We figure out how to track traffic and then... Uh, I write three essays for three minimalist websites. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Joshua Becker, Courtney Carver, and Nina Yao. It was called the Conscious Freedom Series. Yeah. And those things just took off. Yeah. And a bunch of people came to our website. You and I went to a meetup at the end of December. Uh, Colin Wright was there. Was it end of December? Yeah. Uh, beginning of January, maybe? End of December, end of I'm December. pretty sure. Yeah. You got a be- better memory than me. It was yeah. two, two weeks into our website. We went. We drove up That's to Chicago. Right. Yeah, Colin was there. Jeff and Marla were there. That's where we met Jeff. So Jeff is the guy who does our website development now. And yeah. Dave, his business partner, does yeah, all Dave of our design there. work. Yeah. We met them two weeks in, into becoming the minimal. You know, I remember, I forget who, there was a couple there. I forget their names. But the husband was like, "Oh, so you're the you're the minimalists," and I'm I'm like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Um, how are you gonna make money?" And I'm like, "Dude, that's that's a really odd question. Like, like I'm I'm not I'm not trying to make money I'm not trying to make money." And I was like, uh, "It was just it was just interesting because you could tell, like, he was there 
because he wanted to figure out a way to make money off of whether it was minimalism or his own little venture or something. How can I make six figures working two days a week? Right, exactly. And I was just, and, and my honest thought was like, Dude, I have a job right now. Like, I don't need to make any extra money. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I just remember him, like, grilling me over. I forget his name. But, yeah, that was... Uh, it wasn't my, my intention to turn this into a career. In fact, I was hoping to, like, just become a fiction author. And, like, that would have been the, 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 the path that I was initially wanting to go. I wanted to be a writer. When I told people I wanted to be a, a full-time writer, you know, people thought I was crazy in the corporate world because it's like... Yeah. Who whoever does that? Who leaves this secure job for that? Yeah, and so yeah, we we were up in Chicago. We we had a little meetup. We we met some people, and I did that essay series. Um, thankfully, I'd been writing for a long time, so I I, I wrote well enough. And you and I had a compelling enough story mm-hmm. where we had spent a lot of time in the corporate world. We grew up poor. We had these different perspectives. We had simplified our lives very recently. Mm-hmm. And now we could write about it in sort of immersed in the experience. You can talk mm-hmm. about the packing party now, but it's not as fresh. It might be more refined now, mm-hmm. but it's not as, as fresh and raw as it was back then. And so mm-hmm. I got to write about this, this, uh, this series about freedom and consciousness and and that sort of led us to doing a bunch of different things. We started going to a couple of different conferences, meeting people. We met Leo Babalta. Yeah. That was our first real big break. I had an essay published on his site called A Day in the Life of a Minimalist. Oh, yeah. That's right. And the, was it no, was that No Goals? Was it about No Goals? No, that, that oh. was a few months later. He actually okay. asked me to write a second essay for his website, yeah. which was really kind of him. So we were getting, you know, a few. Uh, thousand people a month at this point, maybe ten thousand, five, ten thousand people, and then all of a sudden, Leo's the essay hit Leo's side, and it was like nine thousand in the first few hours. Yeah, to our website. Yeah, and I was I was so grateful because um, a he didn't have to do that for us, mm-hmm. and that's why we try to give a ton of people opportunities with our podcasts and social media, etc. Is because now he's given that opportunity to a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and they haven't done a whole lot with it necessarily yeah i was gonna say man like you could have you could have an essay hit every single person in the world and if it's not good work then it doesn't it doesn't matter how many people see it like right like, you become the one hit wonders right and the sort of thing. and the opposite's true too it's like if you do good work like mm-hmm. people will notice and that's exactly what happened with leo is he noticed that we were doing some good work. In fact, we went up to even, we had tea with him in San Francisco. Yeah, at Samovar. Yeah. yeah. You had broken your leg. I broke my leg. Yeah. Uh, we were like crazy. seal watching on the Oregon crazy. coast. Yeah. That that might have been when I felt old. Because it was only like a one, one or two foot drop. Yeah. <laughs> I just landed on it wrong. And so from there, the, the last 10 years has, has unraveled. And we can kind of go, actually, you know what? I'm going to pull up our Wikipedia page. I think that will do a better job do than it. me. And it'll at least keep me on track here. Well, you know, looking back at that work we were doing in the beginning, um, it was good work because it was a, pers- it was a perspective. Uh, and it was two different perspectives that people could connect with. Like that packing party perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why we wrote about it. Like at the end, I, at the end of that experiment, I was like, "Oh my god! Like, this is amazing." Well, let's talk about that because the 
the first thing we put up on the website, there were two things. There was an essay I wrote. It's still one of our most popular ones. It's called Beyond the Mountain. It's still on there. It's theminimalists.com slash B, like B-E. Yeah. Um, beyond the Mountain. Yeah, yeah, Beyond the Mountain. And um, and then also the 21-day journey. Yeah. So that's a, initially I was thinking, of like, let's turn this into a, like an e-book or something. I'm like, no, let's just put it up on the website. Yeah. And so we did this 21-day journey that co- coincided with your packing party, but it wasn't just the packing party. It was other things to do during those 21 days, like get rid of junk mail and digitize photos. and like So that journey, and by the way, it's still, if I Google the minimalist, it often comes up. Let me see, the minimalists. Is that how you remember it as well? Minimalist. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, you start here. Thirty day minimalism game. No, oh, it used to come up on the main Google page. Oh. Anyway, I am here. Wait, other so here's people also search for Sam Harris, Dave Ramsey, Jeanette McCurdy, hmm. and Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin. Huh. Who's Gretchen Rubin? She has written books on happiness. She has a podcast on happiness as well. Okay. Um, Check her out. The four tendencies better than before. Cool. Something else. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to our Wikipedia page. Okay. Dorian, did you know you're an author, podcaster, filmmaker, and public speaker? And not a rapper. <laughs> That's what your Twitter bio says. Oh. <laughs> um, who promote a minimalist lifestyle. Okay. Da, 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 da. They're known for their Netflix documentary, Minimalism, their memoir, Everything That Remains, their podcast, their blog, uh, which has as many as 5 million readers, according to the Washington Post. GQ estimated the minimalists have a following of around 20 million people. Hmm. Okay. GQ? We were in GQ? <laughs> yeah, we were in GQ, apparently. <laughs> you remember when uh, <laughs> we got that we, we got that magazine request? Oh, man, what was yes, it? Yes, I do remember it. Hey, Josh, have you heard of Ellie Magazine? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, I never heard of it, man. <laughs> Ellie. And I almost said no. I'm like, yeah. maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Because, <laughs> yeah, you called me. It wasn't in type. Yeah. And, and I'm like, Ryan. How's it spelled? Yeah, Ryan. How's it spelled? <laughs> E-L-L-E. Oh, L Magazine? Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, and that was the thing. Like, like we, yes, we want to be an L. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, we never tried. Like, We weren't going out to get media and all these other things. It just started coming to us. CBS this morning, uh, they called us up. I don't even know how they got my number. Somehow yeah. they got my phone number. Oh, wow. They called me up. And oh yeah, I forgot about CBS this morning. They flew us out yeah. and like put us in separate hotel rooms. I'm like, what are they doing? Why are they putting us in two hotel rooms? This yeah. is crazy. Uh, they've got us like car service and like we were just writing about our experience, but yeah. the message was resonating with people. And it, social media helped a little bit, but I think the number one thing that has helped is the share button. Whether it's you yeah. sharing this podcast with someone else. Now, you can't share this one because it's a private podcast. Right. And it, your app won't let you share it. But sharing our podcast with someone else or mm. sharing an essay that we have on our website, just the, the share button in general, forwarding emails to people. Mm-hmm. Because that's people trust the people they love and care about, the people closest to them. Yeah, that's the only reason why I even took minimalism seriously was because right. you told me about it. But if I would have posted it on Facebook, you probably wouldn't have taken it as seriously. Probably not. Probably There's a not. chance, but yeah, the, the, the likelihood. I just remember you like, you showing me Colin Ray. And oh, that was, yeah, that was. Uh, he was so handsome. He was so handsome. I was just like. <laughs> you know, there's like uh, two thoughts going on of what the hell is this? <laughs> but also, oh, like this is some common sense that 
I don't have right now. Yeah. yeah. I just, yeah, it was, that was, uh, that was an awesome moment. Um, watching Colin's video. And then I remember posting that video on Facebook or something. People and, judged it right oh, away. Oh, yeah. Please tell me you're joking, Ryan. Oh, my God. Please tell me you're joking. And I'm like, you uh, know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. When you feel good, like, I felt good about it. So when I got the criticism, I it it did affect me a little bit to where I was like, oh, that sucks on my family and friends. Like, don't really understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, just kept pushing forward with that. The, the good feeling of hey these are some principles that you need to put into your you know instill in your life to like to live a better life right and it doesn't matter how many people tell me it's stupid like if i wanted to be a monk i'm sure people would have been like really you're gonna be a monk dude yeah. oh okay ryan you're gonna be a monk right yeah so it, honestly if you would have been anything that challenged their status quo they're yeah. gonna have the same thing oh ryan you're gonna become a skydiving instructor right. instructor okay oh, you're gonna become a yoga instructor right well you're gonna teach kids how to read <laughs> you loser <laughs> anyway learn how to sell cell phones better yeah uh so yeah so apparently we're authors podcasters filmmakers public speakers when we started this 10 years ago this this the minimalist it wasn't even a business then we didn't we weren't registered as a business it was a domain right it was a blog right and in fact we didn't know it was called a blog and we first started it and this has been the joke ever since like we always called a website we called them essays because we didn't know they were blog posts right. because i had read essays and i'm like okay i've never written essays but I, i've, what, I've what written do you vela call us essayists yeah yeah <laughs> i think great. so probably my, it, no, it, maybe it, it used to say that or somewhere I've, I've read that we were essayists somewhere interesting uh yeah anyway I wasn't a public speaker yet, although I, I I was a private public speaker, meaning the for the last eight or nine years oh, previous right. to the website, I had been. It's one of the reasons I got promoted so high in the, in the company yeah. is I started doing. I was the first person to do this. I started doing the monthly what we called promo pack. It was like yeah. I, I I would get up and give a hour long talk yeah. in front of an entire. Well, first it was a store. And then it was a region of stores, and then it was multiple regions of stores. Yeah. And I would get up in front of all those people. And the first time I did it, you were there. And oh yeah. This was 2000. Was that in the Kentucky three. store? No, we were in Westchester. Oh, okay. Westchester, Ohio. Yeah. And I I had to speak in front of eight of my ten employees because eight of you showed up, oh, and I had yeah. to give and I was terrified, Ryan. Oh yeah, I had never spoken in front of eight people before. Mm. But now I can speak in front of fifteen thousand people. We've done that. We did it last year. Yeah. Um. And I'm not nearly as terrified as when I was speaking in front of those eight. Yeah. And it was building up that muscle of speak. And I it was I'm sure it was terrible, even though I practiced a lot and and prepared. But I got better and better and better through doing those rounds. I was doing it every month, several times a month, speaking in front of large crowds of people in the mm-hmm. corporate world, taking the initiative, taking it on, not being asked to do it, but saying, "Hey, can I do this for everyone?" Mm-hmm. And not knowing that that skill would come in really handy because you and I have gone in not on nine tours in the last 10 years. Right. And we've spoken in front of hundreds of thousands of people at this point. I had to learn the really hard way. My, my first promo pack reading, uh, you even told me, you were like, dude, the way you do the promo pack reading is you read it the night before, you fill in all the blanks. Cause, so for the people who are listening to this, a promo pack reading is you meet at the beginning of the month and you go over all the promotions for that month. Right. And the way we made a game of it where it was like, 
fill in the blank with certain uh, with, with certain promos, and if they could guess the correct answer that went into the blank, then we would like give them prizes mm-hmm. and stuff. So you're telling me read it the night before. And I was like, I don't need to read it. Like, I'll be fine. And I think I went out partying and, like, probably got, like, three hours of sleep that night. And I came in the next day, and it was awful, man. It was so bad. Like, I remember, because you had left. You had left the, uh, yeah, you were, when I did it, you you were already gone. I I left the Dayton stores or? No, I think you, oh, maybe, Uh, oh, you know what? No, yeah, maybe you just left the Dayton stores. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe you were down, you were working downtown at that time. But I just remember um, doing it, uh, failing, and then afterwards I went up to Stan Dukes and I was like, (laughs) he was like, you're no Josh Milburn. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget that. (laughs) But anyway, it was a hard lesson in um, public speaking. Uh, I'm grateful for that lesson because it has made me take practicing very seriously. In fact, over-practicing, is that where I'm at now? Yeah, and I think yeah. we, we do over-practice now for whenever we go out on tour. Like we spend so much time in conference rooms going over and over and over yeah. and over for weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. preparing. So if you've ever come to one of our tour stops and seen us give a talk, that that whatever talk you saw was many, many, many hours yeah, hundreds of hours of practice. Yeah, my uh, my public speech, you know, one on one class was basically like for every minute your talk is, you need to at least practice an hour, mm-hmm. and I probably do four hours. Yeah, <laughs> for each minute, I believe that yeah. at least. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Now, um, Ryan, so we are authors, podcasters, filmmakers, public speakers. We just talked about the public speaking thing. That was unintentional. We went out on our first tour, 2011, mm-hmm. and we've been on nine tours since then. Yeah. And that first tour, though, was just a meetup tour. And we weren't really, like, we occasionally would get up and, and, and kind of give an impromptu talk. But what we learned from that was 33 cities. Yeah. What we learned from that was listening to what resonated. So I thought, oh, we, yeah. we both thought the packing party was actually kind of a, I don't want to say a throwaway idea, but it was like, yeah, we've, we already talked about it, we put it up on the web, website, let's move on. Yeah. But people kept asking about the packing party over and over and over. I'm like, really? It's it's boxes. and But I understand it now, but at the time I was like, oh, like it didn't, it didn't re- and there were all these things I thought would resonate with me. Yeah. Ryan, I wrote this essay about channel surfing. Oh, yeah. And it's still one of my favorite things, but I, it hasn't resonated. It didn't work then. It hasn't worked. I, in fact, I even tried to put a new iteration of it in our next book, Love People Use Things. Oh, yeah. The editor's like, hey, cut this whole section. I'm like, no. <laughs> this was my one chance. Yeah. But here's what I'm learning now. It's like, no, it's not the idea that's wrong. It's my approach toward the idea. So I need to approach it from a different angle. Mm. But what we learned on that tour was how to approach things from the appropriate angle, I feel like. What really resonated? Yeah. It's interesting how, like, when I think about uh, when we went on tour in 2014 and we had a talk, or I had a talk, and then you would read from the book. That was the big tour, the biggest one we've ever done. 100 100 cities, 119 events. But that talk was an amalgamation of everything we had done up to that point. It was like, okay, what's resonating the most with people? What's adding the most value? And in fact... I think it was halfway through that tour that the love people use things. Uh, we, we realized like, oh, like the love people use things because the opposite never works yeah. is like you see people like really resonate with that. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I remember uh, us starting to put that at the end of our talk and it's like the, ever since like that's kind of been 
Well, it sums up our message. It in, does. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, let me sentence. tell you where that came from initially. So we were on tour for this book here. If you're watching the video version, everything that remains, yeah. and on the copyright page, Man. I always like to put a little nugget on every copyright page. Mm -hmm. And so, right here, uh, it just says published by Symmetrical Press, copyright 2014 by Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, all rights reserved. Love people, use things. The opposite never works. Like there's just a little tiny message, and that was before. That wasn't our mantra at the time. No. It wasn't out. It was just. It was a little nugget, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like on Love People Use Things, the book, there's a little nugget on that on, on that copyright page as well. Mm -hmm. But I we usually don't talk about it. It's just there for the people who read the page. But yeah, you brought it up about a, a, a third, a little over a third of the way into the tour. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I think you should, because at one point, I said it as an answer to someone. Yeah. At, at the end of an answer. Like basically, we're just trying to tell you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was like you were like, "Hey, man, I think maybe like I, I saw people like really resonate. Yeah, with that. maybe you should end the events with that." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like, dude, that should be the very last line at every single event." And and that's what it ended up being, right? Yeah. It ended up being the 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 last line at every event, and because of that, it was the last line of our documentary. Mm -hmm. We when we started our podcast, we began ending ending the podcast with that as well. Now it's the first line in our new book. <laughs> well, technically, technically. It's, it's on the cover. Right. <laughs> um, but so let me tell you who it was inspired by, because this is actually from Love People Use Things. The book's title was inspired by two unlikely muses. Mm -hmm. It was the venerable Fulton J. Sheen circa 1925 who first said, you must remember to love people and use things rather than to love things and use people. I encountered this epigram almost daily as a child. Every time I walked past my Catholic mother's bedroom and saw it, artfully framed and mounted on the wall above her bed. Nearly a century later, pop rap superstar Aubrey Drake Graham Drizzy! <laughs> echoed Sheen's line when he sang, I wish he would learn to love people and use things and not the other way around. Yeah. The minimalist reworked the sentiment to create the catchphrase that has come to define our message. Love people and use things because the opposite never works, which ends every episode of our podcast. When Ryan and I close our live events with this line the crowd often echoes the phrase in unison i remember when people started doing that especially in 2017 yeah uh, we were getting people to say advertisements suck yeah in 2017 we did a 50 city tour called the less is now tour which yeah. eventually um you know less is now film which comes out in january the title comes from that that tour yeah and um so so we started just saying it and you and I started noticing that people were lipping it at mm -hmm. the end. And then some people started saying it at mm -hmm. the end of the, and I'm like, oh, this, this is clearly, this defines our message. This one line, cause it's not just about getting rid of the stuff. The stuff is a piece of it. Use things, love people and use things because the opposite never works. Mm -hmm. uh, the implication of which is, of course, we, what we're doing now is we're forsaking people because we are using them and we're loving our things. We're loving things they can't possibly love us back. Yeah. Uh, I end this here with a few brave souls that have even tattooed the phrase on their bodies oh, as a yeah. permanent daily reminder. In the book, there's going to be a, a picture of uh, the gal that Jordan took her photo earlier this year. We were in right before the coronavirus thing. Wow. Uh, in Salt Lake City. 
and uh, she just, had, oh yeah at the okay at the pop up event we did yeah we did yeah. like a little hundred person pop up event and um, she yeah, she had this beautiful tattoo I've seen a bunch of tattoos online I've seen people put on their marquees everywhere from churches to like tire rotation shops I've seen love people use things on the the marquee yeah. and and so it has become that sentence that has defined our message but like many of these things it's almost through trial and error you mm. never know exactly what's going to work yeah when i wrote it on the copyright page it was like this is a cool little nugget right we're not going to base everything on this nugget but eventually it turns into this or it was a seed is a better example and now it's this giant oak tree i imagine it's like you know a singer songwriter does an album and they're like this is the song this mm-hmm. is the one that people are going to love yeah and then like it's like an afterthought for most people but then they go to the you know the track after it and they're mm-hmm. like this everyone you know is resonating this is the song yeah they, they don't they don't know what to expect yeah isn't it interesting like the like as an artist all you can do is put it out there and then you know you leave it up to the people to choose what resonates the best with them yeah rem losing my religion yeah they never expected that to be the hit really it was it it's a song without a chorus, basically. Yeah. A mandolin is the main instrument. Oh, yeah. If you listen to the lyrics, they're so ambiguous. Right. Losing my religion doesn't mean I'm actually becoming an atheist. That's not what that's... It's a, it's, it's a colloquialism mm. about you know, losing my way, right? Um, or going a different way. And, yeah. and, and so uh, it's, it's not a, a hit song on paper. Right. It's nothing like shiny happy people. Yeah, yeah, like, th- th- there are so, yeah, there, yeah. there's so many other hit songs of theirs that could have been bigger hits, but the one they're remembered for is, I mean, they're remembered for other stuff, obviously. Uh, yeah. But the one that made them uber famous, Losing like can't walk down the street without being mobbed, famous. Yeah. Was <laughs> losing my religion. Yeah. When did you realize that you had some level of fame? I, I don't like to think of us as famous. I really don't feel. I still don't feel that way. I mean, uh, people recognize me every once in a while. Yeah, but I still don't feel famous. I feel like, oh, that person has seen my work, but it's not like I don't feel. I don't know, man. Just in a, did you listen to the new Benny the Butcher album that I sent you? Yeah, so good. Yeah, he, he's got the song in there called "Famous." It sounds he talks like about uh, how he doesn't feel famous. It sounds like the old hip hop. Yeah, it, it, it very much I is. He's it, from man. Buffalo, but it sounds he kind of has this um, '90s great, New dude. York sound. Yeah, like a Biggie sound. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's but he's got this um, this line on there about how you know he he doesn't feel famous and because he grew up in you know a shitty neighborhood and, and yeah. uh, unfortunate situation and I. You know, it's weird to me. I, I was walking to the doctor's office yesterday mm-hmm. to get a shot. Mm-hmm. And as I'm walking, this woman stops me on the street and she has a mask on and her eyes are just wide open. She's looking <laughs> at me and I'm like, uh, I took like my mask off to have a drink of water. I'm like, I thought she was like going to yell at me for yeah. not having my mask on. Oh, that's funny. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to put it back on. I swear. Like, and she's like, oh my God. Ah! <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'll put it on. And she's like, are you Joshua Fields Milburn? And I'm like, yes. Um, she's like, I wrote my college thesis about everything that remains. Oh, wow. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. And Do you feel famous? I don't feel... I, I could see... Because you get recognized way more than I get recognized. Because I think... I have a unique look. We'll you have, say, we'll you have a unique, lo- unique look. And, you know, a, a lot of the minimalists, I mean, you know, 85% of it's in your voice. So 
I mean, it would make sense to why people would recognize. Yeah, it makes sense why people would recognize more. But yeah, the distinct look certainly helps. Yeah, you know? for sure. And now, here's the thing. I I feel well known because most of the time when I'm when you and I get recognized, it's not how that woman recognized me. It's not that to me is deeply meaningful. And there was so much joy in our interaction because mm-hmm. she uh, she resonated with this book enough to write a college thesis on it. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, shout out to Grace, by the way, uh, was her name. And so she, uh, that's a meaningful interaction, Heck right? Yeah. Now, other time on the street, it's, I don't dislike it, um, but I don't yearn for it either. Where, hey, minimalist guy. It's funny because I love that. I'll be right. walking down Hollywood and yeah. I'll just hear someone yell, the minimalists. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, sweet. But my point is that's a level of fame. You and I aren't famous. That's Mm -hmm. why I didn't say, when did you realize you were famous? When did you realize you had some level level of fame? fame. And because you're not a celebrity, right? uh, You don't have ubiquitous fame. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I I guess the first time I got recognized, but I can't even remember the first time. Oh, I remember it. I know when you got recognized. Tell me. When you were in Fargo. Mm-hmm. For me, it was before that. We were in Dayton still. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, I was at the coffee shop, and someone was like, I read your blog. And I'm like, oh, my God, you do? Oh, wow. Uh, like, these are real people behind these analytics? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The fr- I can't remember the first time I ever got recognized. Well, you have to think. We we built up a, a large audience before anyone had even seen us talk. Yeah. No one had ever heard our voices. Oh, yeah. We, we didn't have a podcast. We didn't have a YouTube channel. Oh, wow. We didn't have... I didn't even think about that. We didn't have videos of us on the internet. That's pretty wild, man. It was just the writing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was only writing and photos. Yeah. So they knew us from the photos. That was one of the smart things I did early on. I knew from the corporate world, you have to put forward a professional image. People want to see your face. Pro- yeah. yeah. And people connect with people, not avatars. <laughs> you remember the white shirts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, I, I stand by as a brilliant thing to do because we were still in the corporate world at the time. Yes. No, it was, it's just, it's hindsight is like, uh, you know, like people were like, are you guys starting a cult? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I could see where maybe you would, you know, the white shirts, but. Yeah. You could say that about people wearing all black too, though. Absolutely. No, I, uh, no, it's just like a hindsight thing where it's kind of funny. And the short hair and clean shaven and there's a you know with me like yeah i was just a completely different person back then yeah yeah, yeah. and and i think we we both were to yeah. some extent mm-hmm. um although i've known myself pretty well since i was about 14 and the, the only problem that i've had is when i stopped behaving like i knew myself yeah yeah and that caused me a lot of trouble wow dude i'm jealous I, no, I mean, yeah, I, you knew yourself since thirteen. I, thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, it wasn't until Missoula where I finally felt like I knew myself, man. I, well, that that's the problem is I, I I knew myself, but I tried to pretend I was someone else, mm. and that got me into a world of trouble. Now I knew that I wanted to be a business person, but like I didn't want to do. I, I wanted to create things that added value. Initially, I was just going to do music, right? I was going mm-hmm. to to be an uh, audio engineer. I went to recording school in mm-hmm. Chillicothe, Ohio, and and 
the, all of that's obsolete now because I learned to record on, record on reel to reels in 1999. <laughs> and what a hipster! I know, right? Maybe it'll, I have some skill now. I'm sure the reel to reel is is back in business, right? Um, but I, I also realized you make less than minimum wage doing that, yeah. and I didn't have the money to start a studio on my own. Yeah, and we were poor, so I I went the business route. I forsook what I wanted to do so I could make money. And then as soon as I started making money, I just started. Uh, it took me farther away from who I knew I was. Yeah. Here we go into our 30s. And we start the minimalists. Do you remember some of the other names we came up with? Because you were like, minimalist is kind of cheesy. Yeah. No, I can't. I was trying to think of like, I don't know, finding our way. I forget what it, the websites that I came up with. I think I think one were, of them was Turning a New Leaf. Probably, man. <laughs> probably. I just remember everything I thought of. I was like, because I, I, I was saying how cheesy the minimalists were. And you were like, okay. Like, you're like, I'm happy to accept that. Do you have anything better? And I was like, Turning a New Leaf? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but a lot of it is in the name, right? Yeah. By by calling ourselves the minimalists, we unintentionally, because what we were really doing is saying like, we're two guys, we're the minimalists, but we're not the minimalists necessarily. Right. That wasn't, but like we made ourselves authority figures before we were authorities on it. Yeah. And now we are authority figures uh, more so than anyone else besides well, you know, the the four people we always mention. I think that's why it was cheesy, but also. I didn't feel like a real minimalist. Right. So to call to call ourselves the minimalists, it felt like I was being a little phony, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel that way sometimes. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, you look at Nina Yao and she just puts us, puts, puts us to shame with, yeah. you know, as far as physical possessions go. Um, yeah, and, and she doesn't even do the minimalist thing anymore. She's a yoga instructor. But yeah. at the time, I remember, yeah, it's when everyone... Like, was, she's the minimalist. Everyone yeah. was releasing their lists of, like, how many things I own. And she she topped everyone it was like 15 items right and it was like oh i thought uh, apparently colin wright with is a hoarder with his 52 items yeah uh, and and but what you and i realized was like oh it's actually not about the stuff and we mm-hmm. have a totally different perspective like we are these guys who have these six-figure salaries and we're prepared to walk away from that mm-hmm. because not only is it not making us happy it's making us discontented right and so we start the minimalists. A few months later, I, I leave the corporate world, and uh, I, I I plan my whole exit strategy. I, I laid myself off essentially. Right. I was part of the forty two people that I had to fire. I put my name first on that list yep. and said, "All right, it's time for me to to go." Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. I, I left, and I remember a, a particular kind of freedom. I was also in a really bad relationship right then, mm. like my post-marriage relationship. Oh my god! With uh, the worst relationship I've ever been in by far. Not even a yeah. close second. I had scissors thrown at me. That is such a. It's a great story for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I wrote about a lot of it in, in as a decade fades. So yeah. this is the new decade fading here as the decade fades. But. Um, I, I, it was too close to me. I couldn't write about it as a memoir yet. And so Jody Grafton, the main character of that of that novel, he went through a lot of the stuff I went through, including having scissors being thrown at him, having the police called on him. Um, I'm just laughing at the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we want to talk about this. Go for it. About the... Uh, you can always bleep it if necessary. It's true. About the... Uh, 
<laughs> he said he, he by said, the way this is patreon oh yeah that's true he said he said he <laughs> he said he was gonna make <laughs> control me <laughs> 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 Sean, you have to bleep the name. Yeah, you got to bleep the name. Um, let's talk about it. I would only talk about this on Patreon. Okay. So I was dating this this girl, and um, I decided that hey, I want to become a writer and leave the corporate world. Mm-hmm. I pretty quickly find out now a couple things. She goes on birth control around the same time, and I think it radically changed her hormones. Oh. And so. I don't know that she had full autonomy over her personhood at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, not, not that that does everything. That it doesn't, honestly, the birth control doesn't, birth control, hormonal birth control, oral hormonal birth control doesn't necessarily <clears throat> affect everyone the same way or mm-hmm. affect everyone negatively. Yeah. Uh, with my wife, she, she has an IUD yeah. um, and a copper one, so it's not hormonal, and that's much, much better for her, but... Some people, the the oral ones, I assume, work fine. Mm-hmm. I would probably avoid putting additional uh, hormones in my body for that reason, but mm-hmm. um, not my my decision here. And when she did it, her demeanor changed. She yeah. became sort of a different person in many ways. Yeah. But there could be more than one, one confounding factor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was around the same time that I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about leaving the corporate world." Yeah. And she was like, what do you, like, she I, she wanted to be, she loved that you were a six-figured regional manager. Yeah. 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 Like, and she, uh, was like climbing she, the corporate ladder. She was, she was dating you, but she was also dating the status. And my future self. Yeah. And, and there's that John Mayer line, it's so good. Do you love me or the thought of me? Yeah. And she loved the thought of me. Yeah. And... It's different with Bex now. Bex loves me, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think we can get so caught up in loving the thought of someone, mm-hmm. the idealized version we create in our head. And that's what, um, we'll just call this person Shelly. Mm-hmm. This is what Shelly did uh, to me. Is she, she treated, she was dating the vice president of the company, mm-hmm. the senior vice president, the COO, potential right because yeah. she wanted the big house in the suburbs and I remember one point when i was was quitting she goes you but you know i like fancy things yeah and I'm, that was the moment i knew because i had simplified my life mm-hmm. and i was living in a minimalist loft in downtown dayton oh man and i was a minimalist at this point i think you saw me date so many crazy women you were like i should try that try out. it out <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the only that's yeah i don't know you've had some other crazy interactions but like that was yeah yeah, yeah it's the only one uh yeah the, the other there's one other crazy interaction is when we moved to montana i yeah. got the text message from the girl who said i hope you choke on your words and your wisdom <laughs> yeah which uh, is still my favorite text i've ever received yeah uh, hope you choke on your words and wisdom uh yeah oh yeah that that one's a good story uh we can tell that one this is patreon's Wait, 10 years are, are we're you celebrating. done with the, are you done with the shelly story yeah okay. the 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 shelly story was hey you know i like fancy things yeah oh uh, what she's really saying is you know our values don't align yeah i remember when you took a week off i forget what it was for um you took a week off and you were like hey man i'm gonna be gone for a week i need some time uh don't worry about contacting me you know i'll get a hold of you in a week and i'm like okay great and then she calls me and she's like i just got this text from josh saying they're not contacting him for a week and i'm like yeah 
Like he needs some alone time. She's like, um, I mean, I get it. You being his best friend, but I'm his girlfriend. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's just when I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, she, yeah, she's going to, she needs more than what Josh is willing to give. And yeah, that doesn't make either person wrong. It just isn't a good match. All right. So talk about words and wisdom choking on your words of wisdom. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Colleen and I had just um, broken up. Colleen, I wrote about in Everything That Remains. We, yeah. um, it was like the first real love of my life. It was an amazing year. Uh, I wrote about how I screwed that up in many ways. It wasn't a deliberate screw up. It was a, um, it was a being less attentive than I I should have been. Right. It was yeah. ne- it was neglect in mm. a way, and and uh, that. I learned a lot about myself through that process. I learned a lot about loving yeah. in that process. Anyway, um, yeah. I met this uh, gal. We'll call her Nicole. Yes. At a coffee shop. Yeah. In, she in was Dayton. like, oh, I've seen your essay. <laughs> yeah. Your essays. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? Well, because the coffee shop was selling my books at the time. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And so I think she was, uh, she, she read uh, As a Decade Fades. And oh, interesting. And I don't know what this says, but I can think of uh, women who like, I want to say love your book, but like they connected with your book on a level of like, I don't know, man, like they really connected with your book. Let's Mm -hmm. just say that. But they were some insane women. Sort of true. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't know what that says. No, no. It, 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 it says that there's a small sample size. So, so there were a lot of people who, that that book didn't sell nearly as well as our three minimalist books, obviously. Sure. But it sold like six thousand copies, yeah, right? Yeah. And so en- enough people read it that I felt really good about that. Yeah. And and I so, just remember seeing girls going like goo goo gaga over that book, which it's a gr- it's a great book. Um, well, it's not a great book. It's well, a good I mean, book. it's a good book. Yeah, but I mean, just but like the people, who, the girls who I've seen are like, oh, Josh, oh, I, I saw Jody on the bus the other like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like there are there are girls who like totally swoon, um, but they are a little nuts. Well, they're the ones they're, that I can, I'm thinking of swooning. The, the one, is, the swooning for Jody is then projecting that onto me as I'm Jody. But yes, like the yeah. whole point of writing Jody Grafton, who's the main character of the book, mm-hmm. was. I, I needed to create someone who was literally like the opposite of me yeah. in order to like live through, I needed to see those problems through someone else's lens. You right? your Tyler Durden? Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe. No, no. No, I, actually he's Tyler Durden <laughs> and Jody is. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it, it was more like um, I needed... I needed a different perspective through which to see my my own life. Yeah. And in order to do that, I had to cuz I was struggling with my career, my mother's death, my marriage ending, trying to figure out where I wanted to go after my 20s, etc. And I couldn't I was too close to it. Mm. So I needed to hand those problems to someone else and yeah. see him sort of act them out in a more self-destructive way. Too. Right. Uh, so I could learn to sort of avoid some of those things. Anyway, uh, so I meet Nicole at this coffee shop and um, we exchange phone numbers. She texts me and she's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, can you help me 
Can you help me open a... Uh, Charmed salsa? Yeah. Are you kidding me? She- <laughs> that is some like... Dear penthouse. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, oh my God. And we live in the same neighborhood, right? Yeah. She was like two streets over. Yeah. And so... In Dayton. And so I'm like, okay, I'll come over and help you open your jar of salsa. Right. So I walk, knock on the door. She comes to the front door with a jar of salsa. And I'm yeah. like, here, here you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> I well, around, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, wait, wait, don't you want to come inside? <laughs> and I'm like, um, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. And so like we we hang out a bit i'm not ready to get into any sort of relationship at all mm-hmm. and so we hang out a few times like we never even went out on a date but um you know we were yeah intimate with one another yeah and um and through through the course of a month or so um of seeing each other maybe once a week uh, she i come over to her house one time and she's like hey i just want to let you know something i'm like uh-oh yeah okay What's going on? She's like, I was thinking about changing my Facebook status to oh in a relationship. And I look at her and I said, oh my God, I'm sorry. I didn't even know you were in a relationship. <laughs> I wouldn't be coming up, over. And she was like, she lo- I just saw the look in her eye like, uh-oh. The naivety. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. And Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were in a relationship. I had no clue. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like with who <laughs> and I was like oh this is what I want to tell you too like, I'm moving to Montana next week right and and that's where like she like freaks out like, what, what like yeah. and what I learned from that is I didn't obviously there was no misleading there was no, no. mistreating anything like no. that um, there was no manipulation man. absolutely not no no, no 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 we were just attracted there, to each other mi- yeah there might have been uh, there was lack of communication Yes, and that was a that's a huge lesson. Absolutely. Because I know that from that experience moving forward with other women like you've had very like with Bex, I mean, I think up front before you know, it was like the first date, I mean, you, you were talking about what your intentions were. Yeah, even before that. So, <laughs> Bex and I were in a unique situation. We met in a grocery store in February 6 years ago basically, yep, right? At yep. Montana grocery store. And Ella was one at the time, and she was like flirting with me, yeah. and that's how we met. Uh, I was eating a meal there, and so when when we met, though, like that was that. Um, she, we she actually had hired us to speak at, at the university. We mm-hmm. went and did that. It was all cool, no problem. And then a few months later, she showed up at our Missoula tour stop. We did a word tasting tour in 2015. Yeah, and so she showed up there to get a book signed, yeah. um, and it was. It was great. I, mean, I emailed her afterward and said, "Hey, thanks so much for stopping by." Yeah, because I liked her. Yeah, and Senator Dick Beck. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Rest is history. <laughs> it's Dick Cheney. Oh, okay. What do you think of this guy? She loves Cheney. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Cheney fan. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. I don't know why that's funny. Big Cheney fan. Dot com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So she shows up, and so I email her, but like she's she had just gotten out of a marriage the year before and she wasn't really ready to be in anything but like she she showed up to that tour stop because I think she was kind of like okay enough distance has, has happened between me and my marriage now and I'm not ready to be anything but like mm-hmm. I shouldn't let this just go by and so uh, you, we went off on tour for two months and so I didn't see her but we were like pin palling it up yeah. and at one point she did ask me like what are your intentions mm-hmm. 
And I said, well, my intentions are, are really clear. I've learned this lesson about myself in the last few years is like, I'd like to become your friend first. Yeah. Like, I think you're really attractive mm -hmm. and I am attracted to you. I, 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 so I don't want to mislead you here. I mm -hmm. am attracted to you, but like, I think chemistry without compatibility or love is a, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And so I'd love to become your friend. And here's why. If something more happens from our friendship, great. If nothing more happens and we're just friends yeah also great right and let's do that and i think at first she was confused because like i wasn't just trying to fuck her yeah mm -hmm. uh, but it was a lesson i learned like because too often we let chemistry dictate mm -hmm. the the show i'm attracted to you yeah. and so let's go hook up yeah and there's nothing wrong with no. hooking up with someone I just personally don't find it to be very meaningful. Mm -hmm. In fact, I find it to get in the way of the interpersonal interactions. Mm -hmm. And so if you lay some sort of fundament, then you're able to build upon that sometimes, mm. not yeah. always, right? Yeah. Um, you get laid way less often, but that's okay. Like, yeah. That's not what I'm out for. Right. Um, and by the way, anytime I've been out for that, like it's never felt meaningful rewarding etc no right? it's it, yeah it's a very empty empty chase um man do uh, you know what we we got to talk about the the nicole thing and the hope you choke on your words of wisdom yes yeah, so all right yeah so go for it no 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 well i did okay i mean from, from my perspective uh i just remember hearing you laugh <laughs> and i'm like i'm like what's going on and then you told me about the conversation we were, that had happened. were we on the road no or? we were we were in we, we were, were in, in Montana. Yeah. yeah. The cabin in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So 2012, into 2012, you and I moved to a cabin in the middle of nowhere to write everything that remains. Yeah. And we moved to Montana to do that. Mm -hmm. And it was Montana winter. And yeah, I did get a text message from her and uh, it was out of nowhere. It was just yeah. like, I cl clearly she had been neurosing over this or whatever. Yeah. And, um, about her cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually did send me some sort of text about her cat dying or something. Yeah, and, and you're I, like, I'm sorry. Or, yeah, I'm, yeah so, I'm sorry, sorry to hear about that. Yeah, and she was like, Yo, you don't care. Um, you moved out to Montana. I hope you choke on your words and your wisdom. Yeah, and I mean, poor gal. Yeah, I I I laughed because like, first of all, it's a well well constructed sentence. Like, mm -hmm. it was like, I mean. Uh, there's something there like damn like, damn she can write <laughs> yeah but like also like she was complimenting me in oh, her insult yeah so like was she like to me i don't know maybe patrons you you let me know mm. what was uh you, you can let me know in the comments at this point what what was trying to be said there well i she, her cat passed away you sent a text back where she wanted something that you weren't willing to give her, which she wanted a phone call. Mm. She wanted some sincere uh, empathy, but little does she know you can't feel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did show her compassion. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, but she wanted someone to suffer with her is what she wanted. Right. And, mm -hmm. so, and, and what, well, she wanted someone to be in suffering with her. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I wasn't willing to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want her to feel bad, but I also didn't want me to feel bad. Right. Especially about a cat that I had never even how touched. Did, how did you to end it when you left Dayton? Was there any... Did it feel contentious at all or like... 
like did it feel well, it like felt contentious at night when she said she wanted to change her status I, and that's yeah. what i knew like that were that this is it like i i'm i don't i'm not you've been you've been felt like you've been led in this direction i didn't lead you there or if i did i didn't do so intentionally and so yeah. uh, the only compassionate thing for me to do at this point is to end this now because yeah. you thought it was one thing i thought it was another thing lack of communication on both of our parts certainly on my part should have done a better yeah. job communicating what is this yeah coincidentally i was dating a girl at the time and we were uh we met on okcupid and we just went on a few dates and you know we were intimate um i, I went to her and i was like hey because we decided pretty quick to move to montana uh-huh. and i was like man i really have enjoyed our time together um but i'm moving to montana and she was like congratulations that's amazing oh wow like she was like totally cool wow <laughs> yeah anyway so that's you, great yeah so when you told her when you told nicole this she mm. was yeah she was not so happy but no. so it was contentious a little bit because of the status thing she obviously wanted wanted a little bit more with you that you weren't willing to give nor could you because you're moving to montana but like was that night the last time you had communication before you moved to Montana? I'm sure there were some. Communi- there may have been some texts, but okay. it was the last time but I it saw wasn't, her. But, but there wasn't like any hostility that was like oh god in no. those texts. It was okay. It was just no. so this has been bubbling up yeah. for her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I get it. She had a particular expectation. I didn't do a good good enough job communicating, so she had set that expectation on her own. I didn't set it for her. We had talked to her months too, and like she was like, "My cat died." Yeah. And that yeah. was it. Yeah. And and I, I felt bad for that, right? Yeah. Um, so we moved to Montana in 2012 from Dayton. Mm-hmm. And we did so because we were driving through the whole country. And every place we would go was like, all right, we should move to Portland or we should move to Austin. Because we had been nowhere besides up and down 75. Yeah. <laughs> that goes from Ohio to Florida, basically. And mostly Cincinnati and Dayton, mostly. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. And so we had spent a lot of time in Southwest Ohio. A little bit of time in Indiana, Kentucky, yeah. but for the most part, greater Dayton area. Yeah. And we moved to Montana after going to a bunch of different places. We were mm-hmm. sort of seduced by Montana because it was so beautiful in July, and it still is. If you're going to go, if you're going to travel to Montana and you're not skiing, then July is definitely the time to go. Yeah. I always joke there's two seasons there there's July and winter. Right. Right. And, um, which is, I mean, it's snowing there right now. We're recording this in October, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and and so, in fact, in Butte, it often snows in September. Mm-hmm. And I've been in a blizzard in Butte in September. Oh, wow. And I've seen snow on June 1st, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go there in July, it's like picturesque. Like you, you, It's one of the most beautiful places you've you've ever been. And so we go out there, but the day I arrive, October 3rd, blizzard-like snows yeah and the cabin like wait a minute this is not the montana (laughs) we visited is this the same montana uh yeah and and so we you we ended up going out there for four months at cabin we found ourselves gravitating toward missoula which is a two-hour drive from where we were Mm -hmm. in the winter and so we were there and isn't that funny in the winter it's a two-hour drive in the summer it's about an hour yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so true yeah and and so but we were there in the winter, and so you want to get groceries in, in Missoula, you better make... It's going to be a day trip, basically. Yeah, yeah. The two-hour drive into Missoula, and you spend some time in Missoula, and then you go back to the cabin. Yeah. And it was a wonderful trip. We ended up doing a, a short tour then as well, the Holiday Happiness Tour 2012. Oh, yeah. By the way, that's the first time that I thought, like, oh, 
Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, Toronto specifically. That was great. I wrote about it in Everything That Remains. Like, that's when I that's when I realized I was like, okay, we're at, we're on to something amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah. We we show up in Toronto, December. So this is two years after we start the website, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we only have minimalism out at that point. The book. Right. Uh, we had a few little essay collections that are, you can still find on eBay somewhere. Uh, one was called. Essential, minimalism essential essays oh interesting one was called can, yeah, a I day guess, in the life of a minimalist I guess you would be able to find them on eBay yeah they're still out there oh wow um, there's they're, even some autographed ones they're gonna be worth somewhere. tens of dollars one day <laughs> sometimes I see them ridiculously priced people say, the only reason I see is because people say <laughs> how can you justify charging $70 for this book I'm like uh, it's a used book and it's on eBay I'm not right, selling that right. you could have it I, I don't want it don't read it actually right um uh, in fact, we had so we had three essay collections. Yeah. We ended up refining those essays, putting them in this book, Essential, and then also adding like I don't know fifty new essays. So Essential is really a, an and we write about it in the intro to the book. It's an amalgamation of those three collections. So you don't need those three collections. They're they're all in this uh, this book, Essential. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, we were just on tour and we were just going to different places and we had some people show up. I remember. Um, in Washington D.C., we had like seventy people show up, yeah. and uh, we we were all we we did ten cities, and we had a lot of people show up for the holiday happiness tour, and we were in Toronto though, yeah, and we four newspapers did a story about it. Oh, that's right. It was the first time we did any sort of PR ever, yeah, right? and we had um four newspapers same week, yeah. And so, and I didn't think anything of it because we had done, you know, the city beat or whatever in Cincinnati and uh, the, the city beat, the Dayton city paper, right. whatever, right? We had done some things, and, but it, it was nothing consequential. But we were on the front page of the Toronto Star. Yeah. Again, I, I wasn't seeking out these things in no. that way, and, yeah. but it was all these things sort of, there was this amalgam and we showed up to the venue and we couldn't find a place to park and there was a line around the building and my first thought that's what I wrote about and everything that remains was oh like there's there's something else going on here and it's totally going to ruin our event right it's overlapping yeah but it was like I don't know how many people were there I have no idea it could have been a thousand people yeah, I have no idea man because everything else before that was like maybe a hundred people yeah and all of a sudden it was hundreds and we had like a little classroom yes <laughs> that maybe fit 60 people yeah and the host was like uh, this isn't going to work for yeah this is going to work for this line. We're like, well, oh, that line's for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think someone recognizes as like someone said something as we were walking up the stairs. There uh, they are. Right. Oh my God. And, and keep in mind, they had never seen video or yeah. uh, audio of us before. And so like, this is the this first sort of thing. Mm. And I remember at that, cause we were sleeping. It's not, we were broke, man. We were driving around in your Corolla. Yeah, sleeping in the car, sleeping on people's hardwood floors. Yeah. The night before we had slept on a hardwood floor with like sheets. Yeah. And, mm. and so, uh, we we just had made it work and all of a sudden we show up to this thing and it was like we sold enough books that night to like buy a hotel room mm, yeah. and it was like oh my god like maybe this is actually working i never expected that many people ever 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 mm-hmm. right and yeah it's it, it's still great if eight people show up right like, and by, by the way i don't feel more successful for that it just shows me that what we were doing was beginning to resonate with people in a way where they were like hey yeah. Status quo, not for me. And I, I think now about half the people mm-hmm. in Western America 
or not, or I'm sorry, in Western culture, including America, Americanized Western world is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. I think about half the people are contented by the status quo. Yeah. And our message is keep doing what you're doing then if you're contented by it, as long as you're not harming other people. Yeah. And I think the other half are discontented and they're looking for some answers. And hopefully you don't join a cult or find a cult for answers. <laughs> uh, hope, but if you do, as long as that cult isn't harming other people, then you know what? Go for uh -huh. it, man. <laughs> I think by definition, cults are harming people. Maybe. Right? I really have to go to the bathroom. Go, go pee. I'll keep talking. All right, cool. Cult so, is by yeah. So I, I think that cults are, are, are um, no one joins a cult, right? You join something that you want to do, that you think is going to serve some sort of value, or serve some sort of purpose in your life, add value to your life in some way, maybe give you the ability to contribute, the ability to grow in some way. It's going to get you away from the path or the habits that you've had right now. Sometimes they're full of prescriptions, and those prescriptions generally are helpful if you're in some sort of crater, right? The Here are the seven steps to get out of debt sort of thing, or the debt snowball that Dave Ramsey does. I, I find that to be incredibly helpful. I think once you're out, out of a crater, however, prescriptions become less useful. In fact, uh, you can be in a, an imprisonment of prescriptions in a way. And, and we need to start looking for the truth as opposed to the seven paths that will get us toward the truth, right? And... And so, yeah, I, I think that Ryan and I have found that the message was resonated with people because we weren't providing that prescription. We weren't a cult. We didn't have a, a dogma necessarily. In fact, I was just reading the Wikipedia page. We'll go back to that for a second because the very next thing that is on there is from, it says the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette called the duo dogma-free exemplars of a less is more lifestyle that actually sounds sane as they explain it. I think that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to sound like normal, sane people who were fed up with our status quo. And if that resonated with you, the viewer, reader, listener, etc., then great. You could find a bit of our recipe that would work for you. Also, keeping in mind that we didn't think we had all the answers at the time. We thought we had a handful of answers that worked for us, and some of them may work for some of you. It says here that together, Milburn and Nicodemus have co-authored four books. Is that true? Minimalism, Everything That Remains. Yep, that's true. Essential and Love People Use Things. I was like, I only see three books here, Jordan. Did I write a book I didn't know about? It's quite possible. I, especially in 2011, I was writing, um, I was writing so much in 2011 that, that there was a certain joy in 2011 for me that is impossible to regain without blowing up my life again. Mm -hmm. I think. Also, I, I had some of the best health of my life as well. I was just reading here, Ryan. I was, I was talking about dogma while you were gone. Yeah, and. The Pittsburgh Post Gazette said the duo is a dogma free or, or dogma free exemplars of a less is more lifestyle that actually sounds sane as they explain it. Oh, I love that. And I think that's what we were trying to communicate with How people. How old is that article? I don't know. I don't even remember doing the Pittsburgh Post. That probably might, 2014. That might be my favorite quote from any article that's ever been done <laughs> on us. <laughs> well, because mainly, like, I think of we've talked about this for like church without the dogma. It's like it's hard to find a community of people who uh, are, are all on the same page, have the same goals, who 
have a philosophy that they all agree with. Um, it's hard to find that without the, and here's the God that we worship. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, here, here are the tenants. Uh, as you were gone, I was talking about prescriptions. I mm-hmm. think prescriptions are really valuable if you're in a crater, like uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, debt snowball or his total yeah. money makeover, right. uh, the seven baby steps sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Great to get you out of debt. But I think prescriptions are all, uh, a type of prison in a way right. once you're out of the crater. Right. You, can be, you can be in the imprisonment of... Well, yeah, you just have to do these three things in your morning routine and then your four things for your evening routine. You have mm-hmm. to make sure you're doing this for half an hour a day. Make sure you meditate and you have work-life balance. And right. Balance just means mediocrity, by the way. Right. Like, uh, media, things that are, are, are in moderation are almost by definition mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't say, well, Michael Jordan should uh, play basketball in moderation. Right. Well, no, he's... He, he's he's obsessed with it. It's a healthy or sometimes maybe even unhealthy obsession. Yeah. The cult thing you were talking about, that's how we got here yeah. uh, on the, the dogma thing is I think by definition, cults, they, when people go join a cult, they never join a cult. Right. You know, hey, I'm looking for a good cult to join. Right. But I think that's why our message, like in Toronto, for example, two years in, why I think it was starting to resonate with those media outlets and then a bunch of people showed up to our event as a result is people said, look, these guys are dogma-free exemplars of a less is more lifestyle. Yeah. They didn't want the cult. They didn't want the dogma. Yeah. They didn't want the prescription even. Although many of us want the prescription. Sure. We don't actually, we think we want the prescription. Right. But what we really want is a recipe. Yeah. And we want a recipe because that helps us cook whatever we're trying to cook, but adjust the recipe for our own taste. Uh, Together, Milburn and Nicodemus have co-authored four books. That includes the new book, Love People Use Things, which comes out next year. Mm-hmm. It's our first major publishing book. We, we've actually turned down publishing offers in the past until yeah. it finally made sense. This is actually a test for us. Yeah, no, it's great, man. I'm so glad that we got to go through a traditional publisher. Um, well, it just made sense this time where they were like willing to um, work with us mm-hmm. and w- like they believed in what we're doing yeah where before when we have gotten offers it was like they're like yeah we'll give you guys a chance Mm -hmm. like we'll see what happens here are some breadcrumbs yeah here are some breadcrumbs and yeah this is this was more like they actually believed in they believe in our in our in our work yeah you know who inspired me to do it independently who master p (laughs) i love it man yeah i I mean triple six mafia no 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 limit (laughs) records wait isn't Never mind. No, I different he, city. I, I thought. I thought that's tri- Memphis. He's from New Orleans. Okay. Um, yeah. No limit. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Oh. So in he 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 did the first major distribution deal ever, and like owned all his own masters and everything. And what I what I really liked from his business acumen was he got a, a million dollar deal and uh, or a million dollar offer. For, I think it was from um, uh, um, who's. Jimmy Iovine. Is he the make him say, oh, yeah, yeah. that's Master P. All yeah, right. the ice cream man. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so this is mid-90s. My very first concert, by the way, um, Jerome and I went to Louisville. I was probably 14. He was 15 at the yeah. time. And this is before Master P really blew up. We went to Master P concert in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. My mom drove us down there in her yellow Geo Your Storm. mom was so cool, dude. She, yeah, she, the, best. Oh, yeah. the best. She was cool. She drove us down there. So I... It's probably three thousand people in this giant theater. Um, You're, yeah, I'm front row. Yeah, only white kid in the entire yeah. building. Yeah, 
Uh, and even my brother. I mean, obviously, uh, my brother's a large black man yeah. who at 15 looked like a 30-year-old Denzel Washington. And so probably looked like he kidnapped me or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Come on, kid. We're going to this Master <laughs> P concert, yeah. and you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, shut up. We're going to see Master P. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. It was a great concert. But anyway, well, Jimmy Iovine offered him a million dollars. A million dollars. Wow. And he walked out and he goes, if this white man's offering me a million dollars, imagine how much I'm actually worth. Mm, yeah. And from there, he, he does his own label, ends up you know, making, uh, I think he his personal net worth is like <laughs> $400 million. That's what we said when we got our first book offer. <laughs> if this white man thinks we're worth $3,000, imagine how much we're actually worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no anyway. Um, yeah. No, I do remember getting a $5,000 offer and mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God. Uh it was a, should I do this? Yeah. Should, well, because there's some credibility with like. Well, no. Also, because I was broke. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was. I'm like five thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. My rent's five hundred dollars. It's ten months worth of rent. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, well, What are we doing? And but I was also like, hey, let me. I think I can bet on myself. And now, like, we own the IP, right? Like, yeah. and every time we sell a book, we own that, right? Yeah. In 2013, you and I started a publishing company with Colin Wright mm -hmm. uh, called Asymmetrical Press. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just for us, although we want to take the lessons we learned. Colin has published over 30 books. He's younger than us and has published 30 books. It's insane, It's dude. amazing. Congratulations to Colin. He's the guy who turned us on to minimalism, by the way. I hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> and... So he turned us on to, to minimalism, but then we really liked what he was doing. We partnered up. We started this publishing company. I think we published six or seven other authors um, through Asymmetrical Press. And so those books are still out there. We But we didn't want to own other people's rights. So we, we did the one thing that no publishing company will do is we gave the rights to all of yeah all the copyrights back to the authors heck yeah and, and so we don't want to own your art we wanted to my, my pitch to all these authors when we were first signing them to these deals was hey we want to help you fail with us yeah and it was hey you're not we're pr you're probably not going to make a million dollars off one of your books you might not make any money but we're going to learn some stuff together about yeah. the publishing process and there was a time where you were managing a bunch of interns. I think we had up, upwards of 20 interns at a time. Yeah. And, um, we were going through that whole thing in Missoula. We started the business there. We did this. Uh, the paper came out and wrote this whole article about us. And the woman was like so um, – she was awesome, but she was so like – I don't know, uh, intimidated by how handsome Colin was. Oh, was. yeah. And even in the article, it was like, she called him like an Abercrombie and Fitch model or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was great. She said something about how the most symmetrical man started a business called Asymmetrical <laughs> Press. <laughs> oh, and, and we enough did, about Colin. We did learn a lot. By the way, you can check yeah, out all the books that we did. Yeah. Uh, Asymmetrical.co if yeah. you want to uh, check out the... All of the books over there, including our our own books and all of Colin's books, which are phenomenal. Uh, my favorite of his, by the way, is some thoughts about relationships, which mm. eventually I wrote the forward to. So you can check. It's a it's a it's a, one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. Well, it just challenges the status quo in relationships. Yes, it absolutely does. Not just in a good intimate way. relationships. Yeah, not just for the sake of challenging it. No, like yeah, yeah. And and in fact, Bex and I we read that book out loud to each other when we first started dating, and it really helped shape a a communication, mm. and it shaped a understanding of what we wanted out of our own relationship. Totally. 
And so, yeah, 2013, we started Asymmetrical Press. Uh, 2014, we went on tour. We were on tour almost the entire year. Yeah. Everything that remains, we took it on the road, 100 cities, 119 events, uh, 400 media outlets we did mm. that year. Uh, we've probably done 600 interviews. 400 of them were in that one year. Remember Sarah? She was like... Our publicist. Yeah, she's like... No one tells me no with you guys, <laughs> and like, but like we had because it got to be so overwhelming. It was we had to scale back on it because it was like we never thought we'd have the problem of too many media outlets wanting our time. No, yeah. no, I mean it was it was such a blessing because we knew we wanted to get this book. It was the thing, and still today, yeah. I I wrote a memoir at thirty two, and you and I went on the road with this thing, mm-hmm. and. I wanted it to reach people, yeah. and it did. And it did, yeah. In, in a way that still surprises me, but a lot of that had to do with the media was very open to hearing this message, especially at that time. There was something about 2014 yeah. that really opened us up. And by the way, while we were on the road, we brought Matt Diavella out, we filmed Minimalism, mm-hmm. or at least that first pass. We ended up filming some of it in 2015 as well. <laughs> um, Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, that, that was one of the best interviews. That, that was Albuquerque, maybe. Yeah, I feel like that was Albuquerque. Yeah, it w- it was somewhere in it was New Mexico, or Arizona. Yeah, yeah, I do remember having the the. So that was great practice for us because before that, you and I had done some media, but like it's terrifying to you get into a TV studio and all these big bright lights. You're on the Today Show or something. Yeah, you can't do that your first go round. And so our very first interview was Fox 45 in Dayton, Ohio, and that was the most scared I ever was. Oh, me too. Uh, I, I still remember us wearing those white button-up shirts yep. and blue jeans, <laughs> and we gave an interview. I'd love to find that footage somewhere. I would uh, not. A Fox 45. <laughs> I have some photos from it. Um, oh, that's great. But, uh, yeah, I, from there, when we did 400 media interviews in one year, it made me it made me get good at the different formats. Because we do long form one hour on NPR. That's one type of interview. I still get so nervous. We, we, we were just on Good Morning America. And, like, yeah, I felt great the last interview we did with, but, like, because we did two weeks in a row. Uh-huh. That first week, though, it was like it felt like almost felt like the first time. Well, let's talk about why. Because we've taken three years off. Yeah, we ha- not off from working, but all three years off from the media. We, oh, we've done yeah. that intentionally. Uh, the last time we did media was 2017. Really, I mean, we've done a few little hits here. Podcast, and there, yeah, but not really. Like, yeah. Can you name something? We did Dave Ramsey in 2018. I can think of things that have been written about us in the last three years. Oh, but, plenty of things have been written about yeah. us, but we haven't done live interviews. Yeah, uh, virtually. Was Dave Ramsey 2017? I guess 2018. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. But that was the only thing we did. Two things in 2018. Mm-hmm. I think we did one thing last year, but like it was a Wall Street Journal, and I did it on my own. It was just a phone call. Nothing live though. And so yeah. like my point is, we haven't done live TV, but it was an intentional for two reasons. One is, I didn't have a new project to talk about. Like we were still working on the film and this new book. But second, toward the end, I found myself wanting it and I knew that was not healthy because mm. we never went into it wanting it. We went into those interviews already full. Right. Full, uh, f- fulfilled, meaning not, yeah. not full of ourselves, but right. fulfilled. Yeah. And and if you go in full, you leave full. But if you go in empty expecting a media hit to fill you you're going to feel even more empty more drained afterward and what have we learned about these media hits too man it's the same thing about going viral like if you don't do good work it doesn't matter how much attention you get Mm -hmm. like it's not yeah it's uh it's funny how 
you know, my family, they're like, oh, you've been on today's show and on Netflix. Oh, you finally made it. And I'm like, that is, that is a result of the work we've done. Right. And it's an, it's a feather in our cap to be like, oh, we've been on these shows, but like, that's not, that's not the end all be all. And in fact, I would say like something like the today show, the quality of the audience, like we're going to hit, hit people or like get in front of people that we normally wouldn't be able to get in front of. Nine million people on Christmas day. Yeah. It's amazing. However, that, that audience is not as quality as our Patreon audience. Of course not. And this isn't a judgment against like the people who watch the today show. It's just more like, Hey, the today show it's on the back. It's in the background. It's like a fireplace. People aren't really that engaged. I mean, yeah. maybe some people are engaged in it, but, but of the 9 million, it's a much smaller proportion, yes. right? Yeah. If you're still listening to this podcast an hour and 40 minutes into it, right. Then, then you, you have a deep engagement with what we're doing. And we're grateful for that. Yeah. Now, what I'll say about these media outlets, the reason that we, we do media is because we have a message that we believe in. And, even these three-minute segments, by the way, a long segment on today's show is four minutes. Right. We did almost six-minute one on the uh, on Good Morning America. Yeah. That's unheard of. Right. Six minutes on the morning. I mean, yeah. that's like doing two, two hours on NPR. Yeah, that's like 20% of their half hour. <laughs> like, yeah, more yeah. than that because it's, remember, Blades remember commercials. It, it's 22 minutes plus commercials, right? And so, yeah, we we got whatever that is, thirty percent of of their half hour, uh, and how amazing is that? But the reason we do it is it's a portal into someone's life, mm-hmm. and you're not we're not going to change anyone's life through our Good Morning America appearance. Right. But what we might do is lead them into this portal of oh, these guys have a podcast. Oh, they're doing a podcast on this particular topic about desire or about stuffocation or whatever i want to listen to that episode and from there it's like oh i want to read everything that remains right that's the book they recommend reading first okay and then eventually maybe some habit changes come in there not because we're prescribing something to you we're not but because we're illuminating a path that we took yeah a recipe that we that we created right yeah and and in doing that we we um well, we find media outlets are a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, you, you, you did touch on something that year. We did find out, like, oh, maybe there's too much. I, and I remember the day I remembered it was too much. We were in Salt Lake City. Uh, we were in Salt oh, Lake City, Utah, 2014. Hmm. Uh, we had a, I, I, we were at that mall that's like a, an old train station. Oh yeah. We, we had a there's a there's a bookstore there. Yeah. Uh, my favorite bookstore in Salt Lake. I love Salt Lake City. Yeah. And we were doing an event there. And we had nine media interviews that day, though. Oh. In fact, we had eight, but it went so well on KSI. In the morning, they asked to come back in the afternoon, and then we were going to go on NPR, and then we had a newspaper, and then we had the city paper. That was still one of our best NPR spots that we... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was on Mountain uh, Mountain West, I think, with uh, Doug Fabrizio. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, um, Wonderful. An incredibly meaningful conversation with him, too. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he was a great... Great host. Great but I, then I recognized, like, okay, hey, Sarah, we're going to have to start saying no to some of this stuff because we can't do nine media hits in a day and then go give a, you know, a, a two-hour, three-hour uh, event, event where we're yeah. hugging people at the end and all this other stuff, right? I remember it was when I realized it was too much is when we were in Tennessee and we had to go from, like, Knoxville to Memphis back to Knoxville. I forget what it was. or It, it was Knox, Knoxville, Memphis, Nashville, Memphis again. Back to Memphis, yeah, that's yeah. right. Like all in. Tell yeah. tell people about that. I'm gonna go pee real quick. 
Oh man. Uh, so man, I'm not. You're gonna. I'm gonna butcher this story, but <laughs> we were in Knoxville, which is where I was born, Knoxville, Tennessee, and we had a news outlet. It was Fox that was like a really popular show in Memphis that wanted us on. Well, that would have that that was great, except we had to be in Nashville the day after our Knoxville event to uh to because uh, there was an event in 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 nashville so we basically um had to go to memphis in the morning so after knoxville we went straight to memphis in the morning at like four o'clock in the morning and then we had to drive from memphis to nashville to, for the event i don't know it was like it was crazy man what kind of crazy road trips have you been on jordan like what's the what's like uh i don't know tell me about a crazy road trip you've been on the craziest road trip i've ever been on was yes. uh i drove in a 90, 1994 uh, Honda Civic four-door from Phoenix, Arizona to New York City. Oh, get out of here. We stayed in the car. Didn't stay in any hotels. Oh, wow. How many di- <laughs> how, how many nights did you sleep in the car? Uh, I think it was t- like two weeks almost. Like, Oh, yeah. dude, get out of here. Oh, so but like I you actually, stopped at a bunch of places on the way. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I as I'm thinking about that, there was a better one. I went on tour with a rock band in a van. Oh, yeah? And we did 27 tour dates in 30 days. Oh, my and God. And we, we stayed in the van the whole time. And it was in November. And I, I think I told you the other day, one of the tour dates was in Iowa, in Cedar Rapids. Mm. Or no, was it in Iowa City? Either way, it was in like late November. Yeah. It was freezing. Freezing. So you guys <laughs> we were like all cuddled up in the van. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of guys, no homo. Yeah, <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny, dude, is I think about those days when we were sleeping in the car, and at the time it was miserable, like because sleeping in the in a car sucks. But hindsight, I'm like so grateful for those opportunities, man, and like the fact that you know now we you know we don't have to sleep in our car necessarily. Um, I'm I'm very grateful for that and, and and hope to never take that for granted however there's something romantic about like sleeping in the car traveling having no other choice yeah well yeah knowing about the journey and 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 like reveling in it like enjoying it i guess yeah i get you're like forced to be in the moment when you're <laughs> sleeping in your car so i i don't really remember how that story went i tried to tell it but it was <laughs> it was very loose loosely uh told so we were in knoxville we had to be in Nashville the next day for the event, but Memphis wanted us to come out and do a media spot on uh-huh. the next day. Yeah, which is five hours from Knoxville. And it was like at six o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah. It was like super early. Yeah. So we had to, yeah, we had to rush to Memphis, do this media spot. Through the night. So we drove, we left yeah. Knoxville. We had this great meetup or event there. We were book mm-hmm. reading. Yeah. And then we drive through the night to Memphis. Yeah. And end up staying. I probably slept in your car. I don't yeah, remember where I we stayed. Where it was. We got up, did the news thing. Yeah, and then drove all the way back to Nashville. Nashville, which was probably three hours. Three away. hours. Yeah, but and I then, just, and, I then just the, and then that night drove back to Memphis yeah, because dude. we had a Memphis event the next That's day. Right. Yeah, 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 dude. That was. I just remember being incredibly exhausted delightfully exhausted yeah i think that's the key though the delightful part yeah uh 2014 was an amazing year it's like not one of those things you'd want to do every year but like oh my god now here's the funny thing about this so when i go to the grocery ryan my my uh, i i have like a membership card there but i never i don't carry it on me so i always give them i'm like the last four digits are 2007 yeah and they look it up for me every time yeah and someone uh, one time said oh great year and I'm like, was it? 
I, I said, you know what? I don't remember what happened in 2007. <laughs> in fact, my life between ages 18, 1999, and 2009, mm. I can't really tell you much about any of those individual years. Now, because you and I are living a meaningful life, oh yeah, every year is marked with at least one milestone, usually one major milestone. So let's go through those. Yeah, let's do that's that. That's probably man. a good way to to wrap this whole yeah. thing up as well. So, so two thousand and two thousand nine. That's where we'll start. Yep, that's where we really started our journey. Well, my my mom died by marriage ends. Yeah, that's where right? the, that's where the journey began for you. Yep. Yeah, so it sort of begins in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. You could even say. Christmas 2008. So two days before Christmas, my mom calls me. Mm-hmm. Find out she had stage four lung cancer. Yeah, she had just moved down to Florida to finally retire. Social Security. She's living in this like senior, uh, not senior, but yeah, senior. It's a, it's uh, she she had just reached the youngest age. Like you have to be like 63 and a half in order to move in this building she was in, and mm-hmm. she loved the building. Yeah. And, um, she was finally like in Florida. She had her dog and she yeah. had a community of friends down there. And within a few months, she finds out she has stage four lung cancer. Yeah. And um, so I spent a lot of time in 2009 going back and forth between Ohio and Florida. I think I spent a total of about seven weeks down there. I wish I would have quit work immediately and spent the entire year down there with her, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, biggest regret of my life for sure. Um, and. Um, Oh, let's talk about this. This is Patreon. Um, 2009. My mom dies October 10th. I wanted to start our next book. A lot of people use things with this line. And it's in the book. It's just not, not it's no longer the first line because the publisher's like, we don't want the reader to hate you first. Right. I'm like, but I kind that I wanted the challenge of making the reader hate me. Yeah. I wanted the reader to hate me so I could realize that like, hey, I, I make people realize like you can change from being the hateable person. It's the Etch-A-Sketch thing, man. Yes. Yeah. And I hated myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, so I think it requires a certain amount of self-hate to do this. So the first line of the book, which is a line still in the book, was this. I cheated on my wife the day after my mother died of cancer. Yeah. And I did so with um, one of her nurses slash caretakers. Yeah. Which, even crazier, right? Um, and I had never done anything like that. It's the only time I've ever cheated on anyone in my entire life. And Rookie. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I... I mean, obviously, I, I felt awful about it, but, like, there was a certain amount of, like... It was, this is an unhealthy way to knock down the uh, to knock down the Lego set. Yeah. It was setting it on fire and scorching the people around me. Yeah. Well, you know the relationship you had, you kind of knew it was over. I did, and yeah. and I was too much of, and I write about this in the book too. I won't, I won't give it all away, but I was too much of a coward to do something about it. Isn't that interesting? How sometimes we do something to get us out of a situation, but like we have to destroy the situation to give ourselves an excuse to get out of it instead of just getting out of it. I could have just decamped a year previous. I mean, if I was honest with myself, I should have never gotten to the marriage. I've written about that as well. Um, 
so yeah, that'll all be in love people use things. But yeah, it's 2009. That the there's a lot of things that I it's taken me a decade to admit to, mm-hmm. and there, there's some stuff with your drug stuff that is in the book as well. That it's the first time we've ever like really written about that yeah. drug stuff in particular. Mm-hmm. And um, but 2009 is also a rebirth in a way because I, thanks to Twitter, stumble across this video from Colin Wright. And it's minimalism. Yeah. And it leads me down the minimalism rabbit hole. And I spend the next eight months, so the beginning of 2010, simplifying my life. You start simplifying your life. Mm-hmm. You do the packing party in 2010. End of 2010, we start the minimalists. 2011, yeah, we both leave the corporate world. I leave at the beginning. You leave at the end of the year. Yeah, we go on our first tour at the end of 2011 first ever tour it, yep. it starts in st petersburg florida a, a year two years after our the the journey sort of started we wanted to start there symbolically mm-hmm. and we yeah we're in st petersburg florida and we start this little meetup tour and from there we realize like oh like this is starting to resonate with me. it wasn't many people eight people showing up at events yeah. salt lake city two people showed up but Knox- knoxville zero showed up until we were leaving and finally two people showed up were we in Vancouver. We did a Vancouver stop in was, 2012. Yeah, it was the final tour stop of of oh, that tour. Oh yeah, I don't really, I don't remember where that event was and how many people showed up. It was with uh, uh, maybe ten people. I met Leslie there. Yeah. Um, oh yes, we were in the park. Yeah, we were in a in park the circle. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that. Yep. And um, oh man, that was like, I don't know what it was about Vancouver, but like that was one of the best feelings I've ever had. Like I remember getting on this the Sky Train they call it in Vancouver. Yeah. And, like it was just like it was, it was wonderful. Yeah, we met some really awesome people and who really aren't part of our lives anymore. But um, but they were for a period of time, and they're really good people. Really, really awesome people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so then we we leave Vancouver, we go through Missoula, Montana, we move out to Missoula, Montana. Mm-hmm. That's 2012 for me. So 20, yeah. well, I look at 2011. A few things, a few things bookmark that we both left the corporate. There's at least three things. We both left the corporate world, right? That happened mm-hmm. in 2011. Yeah. We published our first book, Minimalism. Yeah. Um, which you can, I still see people with the old version of minimalism. It looks almost identical to this one. I'll right. hold it up if you're watching the video version here. This the, is, the difference is, is like I've got Ryan has long hair on this cover. Yeah, it's the same same pose though, uh, different brick wall, but it looks very similar, right? Yeah. And uh, but we did that intentionally. Yeah. So. This yeah. is this we rewrote the book in 2015 yeah. too. So yeah. it's um, so it this is the the version you want to read, not the 2011 version. Yeah. But. Um, in fact, we self-published that. It was before we had Asymmetrical Press. So that first version was just... You, you remember how... Oh, go ahead. It was just minimalism. And first, it was just an ebook. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing, man. Like, so CreateSpace came out in 2011. Or 12, maybe. Yeah. I remember it... You no, know, because you were living in Dayton in your apartment. Maybe it was 2012. It may have been early. Yeah. I, but I remember you, like... I don't know why, but I, I just associate you being in that... Um, where you did all the stoical experiments by getting rid of internet and your phone and all that stuff. Yeah. Where you bleached your clothes on accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you Green were, Street. Yeah, and you were going to uh, Barnes and Nobles and like with a ruler and measuring books. Yeah, because yeah. we could finally put the book out. But that was really serendipitous, man. Because it was it was only an ebook. Yeah. Oh, I had somebody. Oh my god, it, it was my ex girlfriend's brother in law. And he was like, he was, I don't know, he was just a tool, man. Uh-huh. But he like sent me a text. He's like, congratulations on your book. Now all I have to do is uh, 
buy a printer and print it out i mean you know something stupid like that passive aggressive yeah i was like oh thanks man i was like uh uh all you have to do is write a book now (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i remember um when we put that book out, so th- that was the first thing. It was an ebook, and so we did a tour with an ebook, which is hilarious, right? Yeah. That first tour was a tour with an ebook. It was an ebook tour. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, and uh, but eventually we had a print version by the end of that tour. Cause that t- that tour was a over a year long, or no, yeah. nine months long. Yeah. But it yeah. was it was like a week here, two weeks there. Yeah, it was thirty three cities. We'd go out four at a time, three right. at a time, something like that. And yeah. So and then we'd take a couple of weeks off and we'd go out again, yeah, right? Yeah. F- go five cities here and there. It's where we learned about the just in case rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, it definitely was. Uh, and so um, twenty, so we we left our jobs. We we wrote the book. We started the tour. Those three things. Twenty eleven, twenty twelve, we moved to montana yep we started writing everything that remains mm-hmm. uh, 2013 we started asymmetrical press moved to missoula moved Col- to missoula Colin moved in with us yeah the good old days yeah um and 2014 was a big tour right and yeah. so that that so the 2013 was asymmetrical press that was our year where we really i mean we spent that year on asymmetrical press yeah. uh writing our own stuff and we even did like some asymmetrical podcasts uh before it was even called a podcast we just did some audio shows basically about how to publish a a indie book and we we really wanted to delineate the process between independent publishing and self-publishing so we self-published our first book right but we had really high standards and so we we wanted to pull those into a process and the analogy i make is like you have big corporate acts in music right like bruno mars a big time corporate act right taylor swift who right (laughs) (laughs) taylor who (laughs) (laughs) and uh and then you have like garage bands right you you don't even they often don't even have a name if they do it's a silly name right it's just a bunch of guys getting together jamming having fun nothing wrong with it right but they're really in the publishing world that's there was self-publishing yeah and there was publishing mm-hmm. and it was either taylor swift or garage band right but like in the music industry there's this whole indie scene yeah like matt carney and yeah yes. griffin house and yeah, right yeah. right so many people who have had wild success independently high standards high quality yeah a lot of um a lot of effort goes into that yeah a lot of high standards uh, into that. And we want to do the same thing. We want to do indie publishing. And so our tagline for Asymmetrical Press in 2013 was publishing for the indie at heart. Yeah. And because that's how what we really were. We were indie at heart. And even if we do something big with a, a Netflix or Macmillan or whoever, like ultimately we're going to still apply our indie roots to all of that and know yeah. that like we always can fall back to indie whenever. Yeah, totally. And, and so we learned a lot and we failed a lot that year with tw- in 2013 by publishing other people's stuff and 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 you know not selling a ton of books or anything but but learning along the way and and, and increasing our standards along because we had copy editors we had proofreaders we had formatters we had interns all these people doing the these things for this collective really mm. I and mean, we call it a company it was a company but it was more than that it was a it was a collective of creatives trying to empower indie artists not just the people who are under the umbrella of asymmetrical press but there's this whole series out there still if you go to asymmetrical.co slash how yeah it's a six-part series of how to publish your own book not 
self-publish, but indie publish. And we go through the distinctions on there. And uh, even a podcast series there as well. 2014, we did a tour. 2015, we did another tour called the Word Tasting Tour. Yeah. That's when we took several of the authors from Asymmetrical Press. We would have taken all of them, but Mm -hmm. most of them had jobs and kids and stuff, so they couldn't go on a 35-city tour with us. Right. We did 35 cities in two months, and they were the most random West Coast and mountain cities of the U.S. and Canada. We did eight stops in Montana. Oh, yeah, we did, huh? Hamilton, Missoula. Butte, Helena, Helena, Grand Falls. Did we do Bozeman? No, we didn't do Bozeman. We did Billings, Kalispell. That's seven. I feel like we're missing one. Hmm. We didn't do Bozeman because of uh, we couldn't. The bookstore wouldn't have us for whatever reason. Oh, wow. um, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So we've actually never done a tour stop in Bozeman. We have ran into some. There's like some bookstores that. I will never do a, we will never do a stop. Yeah, at, Powell's in Portland. Because of how they treated us, man. Yeah, no way. Yeah. No way. I yeah. mean, oh, Powell's, we're for the in the author. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're a big corporate store, just right. like everyone. By the way, so what did we end up doing uh, in Portland? I think it was Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Because Powell's wouldn't have us. Oh, you're for the in the author, huh? Right. No. You know what Barnes and Noble recognized? Oh, these guys are going to bring several hundred people to our store. Right. This these, is a good decision. These guys for us. do good work. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right. So en- enough about Powell's, but yeah. So 2015, <laughs> we we did a word tasting tour. Yeah. Loved it. We took all the profits and paid the authors. You and I didn't make a dime from that tour, mm-hmm. um, but we paid the authors several thousand dollars to go on tour. No one's uh, author. Even our publisher isn't going to give us thousands of dollars to. Um, go out on tour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to do that. We yeah. even brought Sky Steele, a, mus- uh, a musician. Uh, he played music at the opening. Josh Wagner got up and gave these, this loud poetry reading, surprised yeah. people with his poetry. Yeah. Um, we did all these tour stops. You and I weren't at all of them. We divided and conquered for that. Yeah. And uh, in fact, the only tour stop that everyone was at was Seattle. Oh, yeah. yeah so we all did. Wait, we, you weren't in Hamilton? No, we were all in Missoula too. Okay. Uh, we all did Missoula. We all did Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Actually, no, we didn't all do Missoula. I don't think Mahalik was there for it, Missoula. Mm, yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway, we, we, so we brought this whole team of authors and we did readings. We called it the word tasting tour. Yeah. And the reason being is we were planning the tour and uh, my favorite bookshop in Missoula, Shakespeare & Co., uh, I was talking to the guy next door who owned the wine shop and he's yeah. like, oh, you guys are doing a tour stop here. I saw your poster. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, you know, we're just come out. He's like, what do you guys do? Like, we just come out and like a bunch of authors are going to read. We have some poetry and different stuff. And he's like, oh, so it's like, we do wine tasting. Yours is like a word tasting. Yeah. I'm like, I love it. And I went, went home and registered wordtasting.com immediately. Yeah. And it was available. And there it was the first and, <laughs> and only word tasting tour. So Shakespeare and company has been really good to us. What's the other bookstore that would never have us? Where? Maybe they would now, but there's Shakespeare Company, and then there's there's another Missoula bookstore that like Brady's, Fact and Fiction. Yeah, like Brady Snellis has gone to, and yeah. like yeah, probably Fact and Fiction. Yeah, yeah. I think it, they're uh, right there in Higgins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they have snubbed us on several occasions. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, um, yeah, and and the the other one that has uh, didn't have us once, although. I understand why they didn't have us. They couldn't get our book because of their. They have a weird distribution system, so uh, I'm not as upset with them. In Dayton, um, the the 
books or it's called books and co yeah there. we couldn't get into their distribution right. system anyway. it was yeah uh, but most places you know when we did the tour in 2014 it was all indie shops except for like three or four cities where either they didn't have an indie shop which is sad or the mm. indie shop turned us down like in portland and yeah and so um but everywhere else we always we always support indie bookstores that's not to say i'm against amazon or against barnes and noble i'm no. not it's not black and white like that right no it's like you yeah you 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 buy local as much as you can and that doesn't mean that anything that isn't local or that's a corporate is evil i mean no and by low-key uh barnes I mean, and noble is one of my favorite bookstores there are some things that are problematic uh with you know i think big corporations and stuff but sure it's not like yeah i mean we're not here to be like we're not you know anti-corporate no 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 no. but but you know what a lot of corporations do well is they 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 often serve their customers because they know that you know they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders and in doing so the only way to there are several ways to do that, but one of the, the best ways, the sustainable way, is to treat your customers right, create a good customer experience. And some corporations do that really well. Now, Borders, I think, did a better job than Barnes & Noble. They're not around anymore, though. Right. Um, but Barnes & Noble, I still like a lot of them. I think they have a great sure. atmosphere. I was at a Barnes & Noble the other day. Yeah. And... Um, it's fine. It's a yeah. it's a fine store. They they've treated us well in the past. By the way, yeah. we've had really great events in Dallas and um, yeah. Grand Falls and and, and uh, um, Great Falls. Um, totally. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so twenty fifteen. Yep. That was a word, word tasting, tasting tour. Um, I also met Bex a few years earlier. You met Mariah twenty thirteen. Yeah. You met Mariah. Um, I met her. Yeah. October and it was like Halloween. Yeah. When we were supposed to go to Bogota. Yeah, <laughs> it was a cluster, and we ended up not making it. Yeah, we had a speaking gig in Bogota, but United, I will never fly United yeah, ever again. Dude, they like they really made Ryan bad. sleep on a floor. Oh man, they're like we freshly vacuumed it for you. Right, it was it was horrible. Anyway, um, 20, 2015, Also uh, in December, so five years ago, we started this podcast. Oh yeah, and uh, twenty sixteen was a really big year for us yeah, because man. we released the film. We did a tour with it. We, we did a theatrical release, 400 theaters, U.S., Canada, Australia. It had the number one opening weekend of any documentary, which sounds far more impressive than it actually <laughs> yeah, is. Right. I, so here's the thing. When you hear that, it's like, wow, yeah. the number one documentary of 2016? Uh, yeah. In theaters. Yeah. How, when's the last time you went to a theater to see a see documentary? documentary? Exactly. Even before COVID. Yeah. It Maybe never. Right. Maybe once back in 2007 or something, right. but no. And so, yeah, I think maybe 50,000 people saw it in theaters. And so it was a success, but you, we also learned a tour was so much fun. Giant failure here though. Uh, oh yeah. Film festivals. That's a, uh, yeah, we submitted to, I think 200 film festivals. Yeah. What that's a, an extortion. What a racket. It is exactly that. They should be, it, they, they should be, uh, arrested for racketeering. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. really is that. They're yeah. just like, uh, yeah, you want to submit? You got to give us money to submit. Uh-huh. And we may or may not. We're probably not even going to contact you afterward. Right. Yeah. It's a pyramid scheme where you're just sending in yeah. your film yeah. and $75 here, $40 there. We spent thousands of dollars submitting to film festivals and we won some awards, but who cares? Like yeah. most film festivals, they didn't even get back to us. Right. We didn't make it into the, any of the big ones, but so what? Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. We don't make books films podcasts for the critics right for 
and I get some people, artists do, they really need that critical validation. But we make it for the people who are discontented. Yeah. And this film resonated not with, I mean, it resonated with some critics, but not really. Not not the way that it resonated with the, the masses. Mm. And so we got turned down by Netflix twice in 2016. Mm-hmm. Released it on our own in theaters, US, Canada, Australia. Then we uh, released it on our own on Vimeo. And then we did YouTube and Amazon. Did so well on on. The streaming platform. Uh, not, not, not YouTube, sorry. Oh, yeah, YouTube, uh, you could pay for, to rent it or whatever. Yeah. But it did so well on streaming platforms, specifically iTunes, mm-hmm. on the charts. It was number one for a long time because we had an audience who really liked the film that it caught Netflix's attention. Yeah. On the third time, right. through intermediaries, I wasn't dealing with them directly at the time, they said yes. And yeah. December 15th, twenty. 16 is really when everything changed. It went up on Netflix, US, Canada, Australia, UK, English speaking territories. Three months later, it went up worldwide. And I mean, we already had hundreds or sometimes thousands of people showing up at events, but like Mm -hmm. this was different. This was, this is recognized daily on the street different. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's what catapulted us for sure. Yeah. And it took the podcast off. The funny thing about this podcast, we started it as a vehicle to help get the message out about the film. Right. The opposite happened. <laughs> right. So true. 2017, we did a 50 city tour, the Less Is Now tour. Yeah. Speaking tour, you and I, we went out, we gave two separate talks. Part of those talks are actually in the new film, Less Is Now. Um, about 10 minutes of the talk, I think, actually make the film, but mm-hmm. you know, hour long talk, roughly. And then we would do live podcasts and. We started having people, like real people, show up and pay to come to events. And that was wild to me. Yeah. Tours hosted by Live Nation. Was that, was Australia in 2017? It was tw- early 2018. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, we had right. been to Australia one time previous to that, in 2014. 2014. Yeah, yeah, but that was, I was yeah, when we uh, when we were with, is it Nice? Is that what they're, it's like Who? Live Nation in Australia? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was, yeah, okay. Yeah, and so, so 2017, we ended up doing the 50-city tour. We ended it in Australia at the beginning of 2018. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, I mean, we had a lot of people were, with whom this message was resonating. And and then 2018, we did the Simply Southern tour we, we, with Dave Ramsey's team. Yeah. And um, that, that summer. And that was the best summer of my adult life, uh, summer of 2018. My health was amazing. Yeah. I felt like everything was clicking creatively. I was yeah. in this phenomenal relationship. Yeah. I was a parent um, uh, for the first time in my life, and and everything was going really well. We were getting ready, uh, or we had already moved um, to um, Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, September of 2017. No, no, no what was it? Oh, yeah, when we moved, yeah, moved to LA. Yeah, it was a few months after that, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think we first like signed leases and stuff. Okay. We were on tour at the end of 2017, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, we we moved here end of 2017. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then 2018, we were here. Um, my health was great. We did that tour, and everything was just clicking, clicking, mm-hmm. clicking. And then end of um, toward the end of 2018 is when we went to Brazil to give a speaking. We had a speaking gig down there. Oh yeah. And by the way, they treat us like the freaking Beatles, man. It was unbelievable. I have never, yeah. Ah, uh, we're they, they put us in, in, yeah. yeah, bulletproof Land Rover. Yeah, 
And they mobbed the Land Rover when we were leaving great. the event. Oh, it was awesome. We were speaking in front of 5,000 people. 30 seconds before I go on stage. Yeah. They're like, hey, I just want you to know that um, um, only about 5% of the people here speak English. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm getting ready to give this talk in English. Oh, oh, I guess I'll have to do it in Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so what happened, was like 5,000 people there. They had headphones on yeah. and they had translators. Yeah. And so like, it was actually people from all over the world, China and different places. So they mm-hmm. had different translators for each of these people. You know, it's interesting. The, um, the Tony Robbins story about where he was telling jokes and it was being translated and it was throwing his timing off because... Yes the jokes would hit a little later because of the translation and then the crowd, the laughter of the crowd would interrupt them. For sure. That story helped me with that, that talk. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. Keep in mind, this is being translated and everything's going to be delayed. Yeah. All the reactions are going to be delayed. Yeah. And so it was great, but we, we, we got in the bulletproof Land Rover. They mm-hmm. took us back to the hotel. Yep. It was great. Uh, I drank some of the water at the hotel, not thinking about it, because breakfast in the morning, they had like these pitchers where you just pour water into the glass, and mm. I'm used to it. Yeah. And my life has not been the same since. Yeah, dude. It's um, crazy. It, now, I had underlying conditions. It's like it, there's a, a forest fire. It comes through a, f- a forest with a lot that hasn't been you know, cleared of brush and stuff, right? Right. And so the brush for me is I had been on antibiotics for a long time mm. throughout my 20s and early 30s, and it destroyed my gut microbiome yeah. in my intestines. And so um, it was the perfect, it was the it was like ready to be torched. All it needed was the flame, and the flame yeah. was the E. coli poisoning oh, I got man. in. Um, Damn. Yeah. In I, Brazil. Yeah, and it destroyed my acromancia, my bifidobacteria, and it, created all these ulcers and it triggered this autoimmune condition in me which i'm still fighting over two years later now and um still struggling to get my health back in fact three times this month i've been in the hospital right once in the emergency room uh once i once i had to go to ucla to get a, a ct scan this month um and then also once to see a urologist i went to cedar i'm surprised you got through covid man it wasn't even bad. When yeah. I had COVID, it, it, I mean, it sucked. I didn't like it. Right. It was a fever for eight days. But I'm surprised with your immune system, how well you dealt with it. I think I'm, I'm really grateful system, you did. My immune system's overactive. It's not. Oh, a, okay. Yeah. I'm not immunocompromised in that way. It's overactive immune system. Yeah. Okay. And, and so like, I think that's why I dealt with it so well. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, although. Ella and Bex dealt with it fine and and Bex doesn't have she has a great immune system mm-hmm. she didn't barely suffer at all right yeah she had a cough for a couple of days she lost her smell for a couple of days um, yeah. but yeah it wasn't a big deal for her and Ella coughed three times into my mouth and then she was done um, I love that story of her sneezing into your mouth she sneezed right in my mouth <laughs> it just sounds like such a I could just picture it perfectly and like the look on your face and the innocent naive look on her face of like what did I do wrong yeah yeah like why is that a problem the sincerity of kids though. Yeah, like, there's dude. something i love about that there's a st- uh, channel jordan have you seen this it's on youtube it is my new favorite youtube channel it's called reactistan no, reactist what is it reactistan so it's people in like uh pakistan afghanistan iran Turkmenistan, like all the countries sort of around there tribal peoples of those areas so not not people from the cities but people from the villages right okay and it, it could be really easy to uh, 
Well, let's make fun of some rural people and the tribal people in these areas. They they they're uncivilized. Like, but it's not that at all. It's a channel from these people, and it's really high production value. And it's tribal people try McDonald's for the first time. Oh, wow. or tribal people try coffee for the first time. Oh wow! And what I lo- at first I I'm like, oh, they're gonna make fun of these poor tribal people. No, no, no. It's really them making fun of us. Not 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 intentionally, but it's like. No, of course McDonald's right. is gross. Right. Uh, or, of, uh, of course, the Subway oh. sandwich. And they're like, Reactive this isn't sandwich. food. I ha- oh, man, I got to like Why aren't the vegetables cooked? There's cabbage on here. But it's not, yeah. We don't eat that. That like that will make you sick, is what they're saying. And, oh, man. And like you realize. I can't wait to check this channel out. It's, one, it's my new favorite. And you know why it's my favorite, though? The sincerity. Yeah. And, and they have not been corrupted by our viewpoint and the things that like one of my favorites is them trying coffee because you and i love coffee right yeah we shouldn't because the first time you try it's bitter and and them trying same thing with beer they're like this is bitter they drink this yeah and they're like is this for sick people (laughs) it tastes like medicine so good and and it's all subtitled because it's all in right oh i can't wait to check it's all in like dari or whatever language they're speaking right yeah And, and so i guess they speak in in Afghanistan, right? Dari, mm-hmm. Pashtu uh, as well, I think. Mm. I don't know. Jordan, maybe you could fact check me. Um, <laughs> or maybe uh, patrons. I'm sure we have some folks, probably not in Afghanistan, but from that from that area. Yeah. Um, Pashtu and, and Dari, I think, are, are some of the languages. In, uh, or maybe those are dialects. Man, I'm so ignorant, man. Uh, <laughs> you sure are. No. I'm finally glad you're admitting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's it, like... These are things like I I feel like I don't know I should I've read before, um, this no, is not sticking with me. Yeah, um, it's fine, dude. Um, anyway, keep going. anyway, um, there's something about that sincerity, and I think that's what has resonated with me and you is we're not out here trying to. Here's the seven tips. Right. Here's the sixty-seven ways to declutter your closet. Mm. What we try to do is be sincere, and when we fail at being sincere, that's when we beat ourselves up over it. Yeah. Because what we're worried about, even with the criticism, in fact, I probably want to end this episode with some criticism from the, the Wikipedia patients. I still have it pulled up here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what you and I worry about from criticism, and criticism only hurts if one of two things happens. Either there's some truth in the criticism. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's like, hey, Josh, you have a big forehead. I think I need you to tell me. Yeah, it's like, I know, it hurts. It hurts when you say that because it's true. <laughs> I know. Um, or, so, but but if, you, if, if you were to say to me, Josh, you know, look, I can't believe you're Polish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to expose you for being Polish. <laughs> okay. Like, like, I, I'm not. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with being Polish. Right. But I'm Dutch German. Like, right. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, You're part of the Illuminati, Josh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to expose you. And, and so, like, if your criticism is something, abs- and I can look at most criticism like that. Like, if you were to call me, you know, whatever, I'm going to mm-hmm. say the same thing as saying, hey, you're Italian. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm not. Like, right. And, I don't care if I was, but you, you're saying something that just isn't true. I treat most criticism like that. What worries me, though, is when someone has that conviction. I can't believe Joshua Fields yeah. Milburn is Italian. Right. And it's like, 
what so that's the second thing that's the only other time that i get that's the only other time i get upset is when someone is like you know what i don't understand you and i'm going to express it in this way right yeah it reminds me of uh the new yorker article and it wasn't just us it was like you know a lot of other minimalists where Ooh, i've got that i think where i think was, that's on the page what did she say here. Which is even worse because it's a writer that you really respect that we tried to get on the podcast. Gia Tolentino. Yeah. And she, what did she say? She said... Uh, this is under the criticism and controversy section. And, the minim, and this whole minimalism movement refuses to talk about poverty. Sort of. She says, critiquing yeah. the minimalists and their movement in the New Yorker, Gia Tolentino wrote... And by the way, this is my favorite magazine that I read, although I've read them a lot less recently uh-huh. since this. Right. Um... And she's one of my favorite writers, and they didn't reach out. They didn't reach out to us for comment or anything. No, um, it was an op-ed piece. As, by the way, so I read this magazine every week, or I used to, yeah. and I open it up and I'm reading this, and it's, oh, there's an article about me, and you didn't even ask me about me. Right. Uh, critiquing the minimalist and their movement in New Yorker, Gia Tolentino wrote, "More is less is more attractive." When you've got a lot of money and minimalism is easily transformed from a philo- from a philosophy of intentional restraint to an aesthetic language through which to assert a form of walled-off luxury, a self-centered and competitive impulse wow. that is not so different from the acquisitive attitude that minimalism purports to reject. Mm-hmm. She continued, it is rarely acknowledged by either the life-hack-minded authors or proponents of minimalist design that many people have min- many people have that many people have minimalism forced upon them by circumstances that render impossibly a, that render impossible a sincere jewel box lifestyle. No, no, no. Let me just say this. I, I reject that because it, you're misunderstanding minimalism, not mm-hmm. me or our message. Mm-mm. Minimalism can't be thrust upon you. Right. Just like a monastic lifestyle cannot be thrust upon you. Yeah. But here, and here's why. Minimalism is the intentional use of the resources you have. And no matter how many resources you have, then the, you can be intentional with those. Mm-hmm. You and I grew up really poor. And that that's where that's what frustrates me about this. Is like When people like this write about us, they're writing... A two-dimensional version of it. It's a it's a it's a straw man. Yes, ar- argument. And, and they didn't attempt to steal man the yeah, argument. Yeah, and, and that's well, the problem. And yeah, and anytime there's any straw man argument, it's I mean I can get past it pretty easily. But and, and uh, maybe you haven't got to the line yet. But the line about how we refuse to talk about poverty or how we refuse to talk about people in you know, less fortunate situations. And that's just like, that's, it's like accusing us of being Polish. Yeah. 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 It's just not true. Yeah. You, you, you simply don't know our right. background. Right. Yeah. And you simply haven't heard oh, the times. Where you, we, you haven't, you haven't read our work. You haven't listened to us. Right. Like it's, yeah. I mean, you read a press release or an article yeah. or something. Right. Right. Um, and it's what's fascinating about all, all all of this sort of criticism is I actually agree with with some of the the criticisms, um, like what? W- where they make sense, right? Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Um, you and I talked about this, I think, with 
who would we talk to about this? So after attending one of the minimal, this is from the criticism and controversy section. After attending one of the minimalist live talks in Cincinnati in 2017, Kyle Chaika, a writer for New York Magazine, said the event was quote halfway between a TED talk and a hipster megachurch sermon. <laughs> That's cro- actually a compliment. To yeah, me. I mean, yeah, and it seems like it was meant to be criticism, but like. Dude, yeah, it, it's he was yeah he. I, it's funny because like he has scathing criticism on minimalism in general, mm-hmm. but when he came out to hang out with us on that tour, um, he was a really nice guy, and I actually like the article that he wrote about us. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't awful. In fact, uh, um, like he it was well written. I thought it was yeah, relatively fair. Yeah, honestly. like it was. Yeah, it was a great. I, and those are the. It's like I forget who it was where the um. The reporter basically wrote, like, hey, look, um, you decide for yourself. Yeah. Here's, like, the positive side. Here's the negative side. You decide for yourself. And I think Kyle did a good job of that. I and feel uh, he probably felt was, the pressure it, to York, do that. New York Magazine? Yeah. 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 And, um, in fact, I remember when that came out because, like, all of a sudden agents and everyone were, was calling because that's their world. That's the world they live oh, in, right? Yeah. And uh, so it, it, there's another piece from that article. Though on the surface, their message is more or less positive. There's a tacit pessimism to Milburn and Nicodemus's movement. Mm. I, I wouldn't say there's a pass, but here's what he says by pessimism. Isn't there pessimism in every aspect, in every area of life? Like there's a little bit of pessimism. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I know. I don't think there's, here's what he means by pessimism. You yeah, and I talked to Peter Rollins expound. about this. Rather than trying to change this mindset of austerity, whether through therapy, politics, or protest, they advocate making do with the lack. Mm. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Because we all have some sort of lack. We're always going to have a lack because we're always going to have an object A. Right. And because we have that lack, we need to be able to be content with that lack instead yeah. of getting something else, getting the therapy or the politics or the protest to help us. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. There's not. But if we're always seeking the fix, we're always going to have the problem. Mm-hmm. If you get the fix, you're not actually dealing with the problem. Fixes are ointments; they're balms and you know, Bengay. You know, it's it's not it's not it's not actually addressing the problem. It's right. putting an ointment on the problem. Yeah. And hey, nothing wrong with ointments. If you have some sort of pain and it helps temporarily, but don't think it's actually fixing. The problem, yeah. right? Um, I won't go through the other controversy, but let's just uh, let's say 2018 was a turning point for me. It went from literally peak health to um, worse terrible. health. Yeah, 2019 was really rough, especially since we were working on the next film. Yeah, we were working on Less Is Now, and uh, also working on Love People Use Things. And my health was especially the summer June. And we talked about this in the Power of Thoughts episode with mm-hmm. T.K. Coleman on Patreon. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, Sean. Um, I'm doing my best to, um, let's just say I'm taking the scenic route. I was hoping I would be fixed by now, but I know mm. at this point there's not a fix. You know, I'm, I'm trying to address the problem. Yeah. Did we do any, we didn't go on tour last year. No, no, uh, we did. We didn't release anything. We did one event in 2019. It was uh, Colin Wright's, um, he did an oh, event yeah. in, he had an event in LA. That's right. Uh, so that was the only event we did. But that got, was his his event. Where he got chastised for wearing flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we that did Collins' funny. event uh, in Hollywood, and then 
yeah, so we, that was the first year we hadn't we didn't do a tour since 2010. Yeah, and uh, then this year, 2020, we had the lessons or less coast tour planned. It got canceled. It got postponed once and then canceled because of COVID. Dude, 2020 uh, will like go down in history as like one of the worst years. Uh, you know, ironically, it's been a much better year for me than 2019 was. 20, but yeah. it hasn't been. It hasn't been outstanding. And by the way, I was always Mister Outstanding. I, I wrote about this and love people use things a bit, but like it's been harder to find that Mr. Outstanding, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've had true suffering the last two years, like yeah. true debilitating suffering. Yeah. And um, like just pain every every single day from this autoimmune condition. And yeah. uh, by the way, I'm, I'm not looking for your fix, so uh, you can keep the comments. Um, I know they're well-intentioned, believe me, but I've had so many people reach out to me with, with fixes at this point. Isn't that, that interesting how sometimes you just want to you just want to present the problem but you don't want a solution or you you no. don't want to you don't want to hear people's answer to your problem i don't want a solution i want to deal with the problem right and it's so hard and i am you know speaking from my own uh imperfection of when someone presents a problem to me my mind is like okay how would you fix this and now i'm going to tell this person how i would fix it so maybe this will help fix them because it's the best of intentions yeah but i have to remind myself often like when mariah is presenting something to me i have to ask myself like is she actually looking for a solution right now or does mm -hmm. she just want to be heard yeah and, with, with me is I, i'm neither i'm just trying to create context um for this particular scenario yeah. um that you know even when it's the best of times it can be the worst of times you right. know that yeah. that's you know, the most famous first line ever um and uh, and in many ways this has been the best of times and the worst of times. And by the way, I don't think I could have survived if I was still in the corporate world and going through all this stuff as well. The amount of stress yeah. that I would have been going through with that. I don't know what book that is. It's one of the most famous lines. It's, uh, it was the best of times. It was the oh, worst it was the best of times. Uh, 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 my God, why am I blanking? It's not Hemingway, this? is it? Uh, no, no, no. Here, I'll just look it up. It was uh, was the guy who did East of Eden. Of times. It was the worst of times. I'm going to kick myself. It's Dickens. Oh. What's the name of the book? Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Derailed. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I obviously knew that. And Tale yet Dickens. Okay. It, was, it was eluding me. So anyway, this year, 2020, we were supposed to go on tour. That got... It was going to be an amazing tour. Too. It was going to be man. Noah Gunderson. <sighs> we had so many awesome special guests and... Oh my God, Rayleigh Nicole, yeah. uh, Andy Davis. Oh my God, it, 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 it's all right, man. It's gonna be. You know what? I'm actually happy that everything got pushed because you might be happy. You well, have no idea how much work no, I put no, no, into no. booking it's that tour. No, no, it's not about the work. It's more about no, no, no. I mean, if I'm looking at it from a work perspective, like I feel very bad about all the work that was put into it, uh -huh. and it sucks at all that work. However. Just looking at the, I'm trying to be the optimist here uh -huh. and say, we had the documentary push, we had the book push, but now it's perfect, man. Because like the documentary documentary comes out January 1st, and then we go on tour in July, so it's like it's a great, um, I don't know, it's a great lineup. Like it's all, oh, I totally, it's agree. all hitting exactly how because before we were like, oh man, like wish this could like hit a little bit better, like just you know. To, to kind of, I don't know for it to make more sense I guess yeah um, but it's but now like because of all the delays and because of all the crap like it's actually 
hitting really it's flowing really nicely now totally set up to flow nicely yeah and so the weird thing is each year we have some sort of benchmark we we, we've gone through the last 10 years here it's sad that 2019 was sort of like uh was was marked by dis-ease for for me and for us as well i mean you know uh, you also broke your back in 2019 yeah and uh there's a lot of dis-ease in that yeah um and so gotta have the the valleys in order to have the peaks. Yeah, yeah, and I think we try to, you know, there's a Matt Carney line about that. Yeah, life but, was going too good anyway, man. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> this is, it, it, no, it literally was. You know what sucks? Some, hold on, summer 2018, mm. I was like, um, manic's the wrong word because the negative connotation, elated. That's the right word. I was elated. Like yeah. everything, it didn't feel perfect. Don't get me wrong. And there were still struggles and I was dealing with parenting things I didn't want to have to deal with. And, mm. um, you know, the, the cost of living in LA was high. Like all these things that were like, there were problems, but they were certainly better problems than what I had experienced in the past. Yeah. Oh man. I forget what I was going to say. Uh, well, 2019, we, we was marked by that, but it was also, let, let's mark it by something good. Mm. We together, finished the principal photography on less is now mm-hmm. we ended up doing the uh, all the b-roll and everything else in 2020 and interviews in 2020 right mm-hmm. um interviewed a bunch of everyday minimalists we interviewed some experts but the the, pr- the principal filming we did in, in 2019 we also right. did it in 2017 and 2018 right but what's in this film was done in 2019 the the main thing that stitches the whole thing together also the reenactments where we rented out houses and mm-hmm. brought in crews recreated my mom's house recreated the house you were painting as a kid like yeah. all of these things we had a, a young ryan nicodemus who kind of looked like you oh yeah he looked like you if you were more handsome when you were a teen <laughs> um and, and you were already a handsome teen so he was <laughs> Thank like you yeah i mean he was he looked like an actor version of you right? yeah, yeah um and uh yeah and, and so there were there was a lot of joy there as well mm-hmm. it's just harder to experience joy when when there's a lot of pain right yeah and and so we, we but we got through that and i feel like while we're we're not completely out of the valley, we're, we've traversed the the lowest point of the valley, uh, and um, yeah, and on, on the other side, although it's it's proving to be a longer journey than what we anticipated. Twenty twenty yeah. has been twenty twenty for everyone. Yeah, and I remember what I was going to say now. Go ahead. Well, as a kid, I was just always trained to not be too happy. So like things will be going well and then shit would hit the fan. How Whether, are you trying to not be too happy? What do you mean? Well, growing up, uh, it's like life was good and then parents got divorced. Uh, and you, then you weren't like literally trapped. I thought for like, no, it was like a Jehovah's Witness. No, thing. no, no, no. It was like this training of like, hey, Ryan, don't get too happy because the rub, rug is going to be pulled out from underneath of you. Right. So whether it was with, you know, mom getting DUIs or the SWAT team busting in the door or uh, whatever it was, man. Like there was always these moments I remember being elated. Yeah. And then I get a phone call. Oh, hey, hey, Ryan, uh, your your stepdad kicked in the window and not, I mean, it, I mean, just like really, really always. So all that to say is that life has been going too good, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's unfortunate, 
because I can't actually ever truly enjoy what's happening because when something good is happening, I'm always like, well, dude, for as many good things that, that happens, there's going to be a bad thing. That yeah. Comes that, along. That, and so it makes it hard to, to sort of and be, I, be here. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to get through it, but in the we same decondition that, right? Yeah. I don't know. How, how do we, how, yeah. And, and I don't think there's a prescription. We have to figure out what the problem is. I'll tell you what does help me is looking at, um, looking at things like 2020 as an opportunity instead of looking at it as like, Oh, life is just punching me in the face. Mm-hmm. It's more like, Oh, there's an opportunity here for me to learn something and for me to grow and for me to, you know, come out of this better. Yeah. So that, that kind of helps a little bit, but yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier. Just how <laughs> 20, 2020 is kind of like a, well, yeah, I was like, yeah, this is bound to happen eventually. I mean, life yeah. is going way too good. <laughs> yeah. Well, 2020, well, for me, will be the year not of COVID, but the year we finish two of the most meaningful things we've ever done. Heck yeah! We finish lesses now. Um, the music, phenomenal. Um, mm. I mean, it's so good. The everyday minimalist interviews. We did thirty of them. Yeah, uh, a lot of them made the film. Amazing. The five expert interviews we did are, I mean, leaps and bounds more than I ever anticipated. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my God, Dave Ramsey, Erwin McManus. Uh, Danae Barahona. I mean, these yeah, people. Uh, Annie Leonard. Oh my God. And TK's in it as well. Yeah. Uh, and TK. By the way, those five interviews by themselves. This could just be. We, you could release those as five like videos yeah. on on Netflix, and it, it would have been a five part series with just those five people, 100%. and it would have been like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but what we've done is we made this fifty minute film out of hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of footage. And we cut so many things that were precious to us, but we knew when you treat something that precious, you probably need to let it go Yeah, because it didn't serve the film. And same with this book, Love People Use Things. It's really, it's the life lessons of 40 years. Yeah. And... That's 2021 for us. And so things are looking up. I'm, I'm optimistic about my health. Yeah. And although I don't know exactly what the problem is yet. We're, we're, we're peeling back layers to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm working with some of the best medical experts in the world. I'm, mm. I'm very fortunate in that respect. Um, and, uh, and they're not all traditional. Some of them are traditional Western doctors. Yeah. Right. Urologists and, and, and GI docs and, but others are uh, not naturopaths. I don't believe in, in, in that, that medicine. <laughs> They're not using crystals to find out what's wrong with you? Uh, no, no, definitely not. <laughs> but they are uh, functional med- medicine practitioners. And mm. so um, it's mixing sort of uh, the best of both worlds. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful for that. But then also this film, I think it's going to go deeper. Like it may not reach the same broad audience that minimalism reached. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Oh yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, minimalism might end up being the biggest thing we've ever done. I'm saying that for myself because of what you just said. It's like, yeah. I have to accept that like minimalism might be the, yeah, it might yeah. be the best thing. And that's all right. Like we're still putting out good work. Yeah. I, Joe, uh, Joe Budden, mm-hmm. I almost said Joe Biden, <laughs> uh, who is president now. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> we're recording this right before the election. Right. Um, because we're trying to take two months into this year um, to sort out health stuff and and and, and calm down, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, Joe Budden made "Pump It Up" in 2003. Remember that song? Pump, pump, pump it up. Yeah, that's it. That's his hit song. He made probably a dozen albums after that. Some of which are really good. Yeah, especially his last couple. "All Love Lost" is a really good album. Yeah, but he's known for 
pump, pump it up. Yeah. They still play it at basketball games. So it doesn't mean he hates that song. No, be grateful for that song, yeah. right? And we, if minimalism's our pump it up, great. Cool. We had the opportunity to reach so many people with that message. Incredibly grateful for it. And we'll reach a lot of people with lesses now. And I think it, the people we do reach with it, it's such a deeper dive, yeah. not just into minimalism, but the line that Irwin has in the film is, I think everyone should be able to etch a sketch their life. Yeah. And that's the message of this film. Yeah. It's like, yes, absolutely. Hey, it's possible to start over. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even if just one person watches that film and starts their life over and changes for the better, like that would make it worth it. Yeah. It's possible yeah. to start over with less so you know i'm gonna expound a little bit or extend what i was saying earlier about the rug being pulled out from underneath of me and that feeling i also have the feeling for as many lows that there are there are also highs Mm. so it's like there's a piece of me that you know 2019 and 20 has been very hard for us specifically with you and in being sick but there's some good stuff on the horizon man yeah but i'm not chasing it and that's no i want to make sure that I, i don't I don't even want to chase the, because I, I don't, I'm at a point in my life where I'm identifying like the solutions often the problem mm. because we seek it. We seek a fix, right? Yeah. But think about that. The world is not fixed. It is ever changing. It mm-hmm. is ever expanding. Mm-hmm. We do not live in a, and by the way, if we lived in a fixed world, we, 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 project onto a fixed state onto the world mm-hmm. but every time you go back to missoula you're, where you're like oh my god look how much this place has changed yeah dude you go back to dayton ohio wow look what they're doing look how much change it's yeah. not fixed right and so we have to be willing to change and we're dealing with the problems we can't deal with them through solutions we have to address the actual problem and that's why i am looking forward to 2021 I'm sorting through this one problem, which is a health problem, an autoimmune problem, yeah, and, and going through that. But there's another problem that we're going through right now that I think we can help out with. Mm. And it's not that we have the the, the solution, is that we have identified the problem. And that problem is, we already talked about the last decade, yeah. overconsumption. Well, what's this next decade? I think for us, it's... It's overconsumption, but in a different way. We're so highly distracted now. Mm. And so I see the shift that we've been doing, especially with this podcast, is we talk about stuff and people are still suffocated. We're not going to completely walk away from that, obviously. I mean, we were doing that thing with Good Morning America and Tara when we were decluttering her house for an hour and they aired about a minute of it on Good Morning America. But we helped Tara declutter her house for an hour on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And you realize like... Oh, yeah, my house doesn't look like this, but it used to. Mm-hmm. I used to have all this stuff, the burden of all these things. Yeah. And a lot of people still have these burdens. And it wasn't judging her for it. It was I was identi- I've seen myself in her. But you know what else I see? And even now I see it more than ever. Distraction. I'm just as prone to distraction as, as the next person. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Well, part of it, it means that we aren't comfortable with being alone. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm alone, I feel compelled to put a... Uh, a record on or podcast or, or, you know, to put on uh, the TV or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the times where I have the most joy, I've had the most joy in my life. We, right. Jordan and I talked about this for briefly while you were gone, but 2011, I remember specifically because I got rid of all those distractions. Yeah. I didn't have a TV at home. I got rid of my cell phone. 
I got rid of home internet. Mm. I didn't have the ability to distract myself and it created some pain, but some necessary pain, some pain that said, Hey, maybe the things that you were doing here, they didn't even seem that bad, but maybe they're way worse than you think. And I'm starting to believe that now, maybe that phone, I don't have my phone on me, mm. but I still feel the tug of it. Yeah. Maybe it's way worse than I think. Maybe scrolling really is the new smoking. Maybe I shouldn't have a television at all. Maybe I shouldn't have home internet at all. And maybe that's painful not to have those things. And maybe I'm afraid of that pain. But maybe I can get rid of those things, even for a period of time, and identify, help others identify what the problem is. Not what the solution is. You have to figure out that. Mm. Maybe we can help identify what the real problem is. Hmm. And I think, I think that's what the next decade is. I think 2021 and beyond is, is identifying these other problems. Once we've cleared the clutter, what problems remain? What's everything that yeah. remains? It's funny, man. I think, <laughs> I think so over the past decade, how we thought things were going to go in 2010 versus what's happened over the last 10 years. Oh my God. I mean, it's like nothing has gone the way we thought it was going to go. I shouldn't say nothing, but very little has. And by the way, and we didn't plan it this way. If we did, no. it would have been overwhelming. We would have walked yeah. away from it. So between now and the next decade, however we think it is going to unfold, it's going to be different from how we think it's going to unfold. And yes. there's something uh, there's something very joyful and like not knowing what's to come and, and accepting that not having an attachment. I think that's yeah. where that joy comes from because we can have desires, but when your desires are mired by attachments, mm -hmm. then your desires are impure Yeah, because there's an expectation. So we're, we're not going into this next decade as this decade fades. We're not going into this new decade with an expectation. We're going into it with high standards mm. And even high hopes in a way, but not with a, here's our seven part plan. I mean, of course we, we know our, our film is going to come out. No expectation around that mm -hmm. other than it does come out. Right. And even if Netflix called us this week, Hey guys, we decided that, uh, it's not working. You know what? Uh, <laughs> we found out about Ryan Nicodemus and we hate people who with Greek heritage and your <laughs> last name is Greek. So we won't publish it now. Yeah. Um, then we would just put it out on our own. And right. same with the book, like love people use things is done. Mm -hmm. I, with yesterday, I was just dealing with the attorney on some of the lines that I need to change, uh, to protect us legally. Yeah. But, it's done as well. And so it'll come out even if I have to print the PDF or put it up online. Like the book is, I, I'm very, very happy with the book. Very happy with the film. Those yeah. things come out. They do whatever they do though. Yeah. And that feels good. Yeah. Because I don't need them to do a million whatever, a mm -hmm. hundred million, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're going to do what they do. They're going to resonate however they resonate. It's not up to me anymore. Yeah. And, and that feels good. But in the, at the same time, I think looking forward, it's about problem solving, not through solutions, but through identifying the root of the problem. Uh, I'm gonna talk about two things before we go. I, we were talking about like, when, when did you know you were 
you had some level of fame. Yeah. Right. And we talked about the Toronto event. Talked about the first time being recognized at a coffee shop in 2011. Yeah. Um, going out and tour and having eight people show up was something that was like, oh my God, eight people showed up for us at our first tour stop. Yeah. Oh my. By the way, those pictures are still. You can go to theminimalists.com slash previous. Yeah. You can find all of our previous tour stops and photo albums for each tour. Dude, I was trying to look at our 2014 tour. Yeah. And because of Google Plus not being around anymore, uh-huh. I think like we need to figure out how to... Anyway. The photos? There, yeah. No, there's a... It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's there's something that I need to show you that is broken on there, but we'll figure it okay. out Okay. Yeah. Sh- show me later. Theminimalists.com slash previous. So you can still see pictures from our St. Peter's All Bricks nine up. tours. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. We have photos from all nine tours up That's there. That's cool. And, uh, and even some video and recordings of, of later stops. Oh, yeah. And so you can check out previous events as well over there but uh there was a time in 2018 where bex and i went to go see matt carney uh, on tour we went down to anaheim he was touring and um we were sort of like i don't know 10 rows back 15 rows back sort of in the middle and i've never had something like this happen before i've i i'm a giant matt carney fan one of my favorite musicians Mm -hmm. i've probably seen him only person I've seen more is our friend Griffin House, who's a friend of ours now, right? Yeah, um, so wild. Yeah, it is. But like the uh, Matt Carney, when I I saw him there, and I'd seen him several times before, but I'm standing there and like Bex and I are singing along to some song, and all of a sudden he's mid song, he stops, like when the chorus is going on, yeah, and he points at me. <laughs> and like the crowd kind of disperses just a little bit so they can look at me, yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah you you're here yeah, yeah. and uh i'm like what's going on looking around it's great I'm like, oh he's talking to me and uh later that night he sends uh, a dm and he's like hey it's great to see you at the show yeah i'm like oh my god it's matt carney yeah an actual famous person right yeah. um and so he just had a new song come out today really cool it's called Grand Canyon. Oh, okay. I thought maybe we'd end this episode with uh, with that here in a little bit when, when we finally do wrap up. Now, Ryan, it is your birthday. Yeah. And the on, this is the only time, this is the only birthday gift I ever asked for. We don't ever ask for this um, throughout the year. Every time you go on someone's YouTube channel, not only are they bombarding you with ads mm-hmm. or you go to their podcast, they're bombarding you with ads. They're also asking you to please like and subscribe every damn episode. Like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Yeah. You're not going to ever hear me say that. Mm -mm. But I'm going to ask one thing for Ryan's birthday. Yeah. If you would, go on to Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review. Good or bad. Yeah. Leave us a review. Yeah. 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 And and, and so whatever, an honest review. And why do we ask for that? And, and we're not even asked for this publicly. We're asking this of our patrons mm-hmm. because it does help our message reach more eyes and ears mm-hmm. when you do that. It, it helps show up in the iTunes or the, sorry, the Apple podcast algorithm. Yeah. And so if you'd be willing to do that, we only ask for this once or twice a year. In fact, last year I forgot to ask at all. Mm. This year I asked on my birthday, a few hundred people did it. Great. Let's get a few thousand people because you're patrons to do it. That'd be great this week we it would be really helpful for us and it would be a nice birthday gift for ryan nicodemus absolutely um just about the level of fame thing you reminded me when sean white was yelling at us 
from his driver side yeah from the from his land rover or whatever he had yeah he's like hey guys yeah that was like that was freaking awesome dude yeah i remember uh, yeah we, we told the story before so i won't tell it again yeah. but uh when i ran into him at the noodle place and i didn't <laughs> yeah. know who it was and you and snubbed the, him what a jerk yeah, and bex is like, i'm like hey what's your name and he's like hey man big fan i'm like oh cool what's your name oh sean my- <laughs> like, awesome and then bex like pulls me aside that's sean white you're like who i said who, who's sean white yeah and she's like, and she shows me. I'm like, oh, like, I, I remember him as being like an awkward 18 year old with long, with red, long hair. red hair. Yeah, he's handsome as shit now. Yeah, and uh, and so I was just like, oh, th- okay, I know who he is. Yeah, and uh, and like his wife came afterwards. She's like, seriously, thank you so much. Like, uh, your film and books or whatever has changed uh, our life together, mm-hmm. um, and it really started with him. And I say all that to say this. Uh, and I've been trying to have these conversations with Ella recently because she's really attracted to fame. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's really disheartening to me. You know, <clears throat> this is a um, what is she? Gen? She's not Gen Z. What is she? she? Is Gen Z? But it, because they, we had, they have, they haven't named the generation thereafter. So Gen Z starts at 1996. Yeah. And so she was born in 2013. So she'll probably be a cusper or whatever the following generation Gen is. Gen A, actually, I think is what they're. I've seen Gen A thrown around. I could see that, yeah. But uh, this is that is a symptom of what's going on with her generation of everyone's a YouTube star. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to because she watches a lot of YouTube. So it's hard to, especially like you know the, the different ads and things. It's just it's hard to not want to be famous mm-hmm. when everyone looks like they're famous. Well, she also. And and so it's me having, I have a very healthy relationship because you and I aren't actually famous, but we have some notoriety. Sure. And and we we're well known by a, a group of people. If I'm in a room, one out of fifty people are going to say something to me. Sure. Maybe one out of ten know who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's like that means ninety percent of the people have no idea who I am. Right. And and I'm totally fine with that. I, I'm not chasing the any of that, and I don't need any more level of fame or, or, or being well known mm-hmm. um i'm much I, I subscribe to the thousand true fans thing and, yeah. and and um the number itself is arbitrary but but what i'm noticing now with ella is she she's with me when i get recognized quite a bit and then people mm-hmm. want to take and she but she that's been happening this whole time mm-hmm. ever since she was a baby basically right um, and people want to take pictures. And yeah, and so often I'll be at like the grocery store. She'll be on my shoulders, and they're like, "Can I take a picture with you?" I'm like, "Yeah," but um, you know, she's going to be in it, so here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. And so, in a weird way, like Ella has been used to getting, yeah, seeing me get my picture taken, but not really knowing why. Mm-hmm. And then also, she had a stepmother who she doesn't have anymore as of recently, um, who. Um, I think was enamored by the fact that she would often say that, oh, you know, Josh is a celebrity, right? And like, it was setting- She would say that to Ella? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And so I think it like, it created some sort of um, unhealthy relationship. with. And so what I've been trying to explain is- That Twitter Ella sandwich went straight to her head, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> her Twitter account. She hates the fact that she has a Twitter account. <laughs> Because she's like, I hate when you... I get embarrassed by the things that I say. I'm like, I'm tweeting that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't! Don't do it! 
<laughs> her tweets are the best. Yeah. No, um, no, she doesn't know that. Like, she doesn't really get social media thing. She likes being on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, we can take a video of you right now. I can put it up on the TV. Like, that's that, right. that's that doesn't mean anything. Right. And, and she's like, do you like being famous? And I'm like, well, I. I I'm not famous. I would you like getting recognized? And I said, I don't mind getting recognized. In fact, I like it for a particular reason. It's what I'm recognized for. Mm. If I was Jeffrey Tubin, I would not like getting recognized. Yeah. Do you know who what he, happened with him recently? Mm-hmm. So he's a do you you heard about Jeffrey Tubin, right, Jordan? He's Tell a, us about Mr. Tubin. He's a New Yorker writer. Mm-hmm. And I, I Oh wait, is this the dude who, on the Zoom call? He got caught masturbating <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> He's famous. You know who he is. You've heard about it now, haven't you, Jordan? Poor guy. So that's one way to get famous, right? He's famous now. Now, he had some level of... uh, of, He was known in a very small circle before by being a New Yorker writer and a CNN contributor. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't famous, famous. And now... We all know his story. Famous for the wrong reasons. That's one way to become famous, right? Mm -hmm. And so... It's not enough to be famous, right? The question is, what are you famous about? And and I've never been drawn to the flame of of that sort of notoriety because I see it's empty. And any time that I start to get drawn to it, like the end of 2014, I, I recognize, like, because we took that December off. We had just finished up 100 c- cities, 119 events, 400 media hits. Yeah. And I... I was like missing the dopamine hit. You sounded more exhausted at the end of December taking that month off than you did at the end of tour. For sure. <laughs> I, and I was because like I, I, I didn't have the coping mechanisms for it. Mm. I was so used to like, and so I had to, it took that month to develop a healthy relationship and understand like, oh, you want, you're wanting the wrong things now. Yeah. Because when I went into it, I went into it full. Right. Full, like fulfilled, like, we wrote this thing. I think it's going to add value to people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm back to there now, but it took that month of trying to figure it out of, yeah. and failing to figure it out. And and so it took December of 2014 to, to really figure that out. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that now with Ella to try to explain to her, like, it's okay to be well-known for something. In fact, it can be great. It can have certain rewards being well-known. We yeah. were able to make a living off of being well-known, mm-hmm. but it's being well-known for the right thing. So when I ask her, like, well, why do you want to be on TV? She's like, oh, it's because I, I like being on TV. And I'm like, well, why? I think it's cool. Mm. Well, I, I'm like, well, that's not a good reason right. to be on TV. And so I, I'm yeah. continuing, I'm, I'm finding ways to explore that with her and have these conversations with her, explain to her. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with being well-known. But what are you known for? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, man. Like, <clears throat> what I love about what we do is just just helping people, teaching people. Uh, I, I was trying not to say helping people because it sounds like such a cliche. I like to help people and I want to yeah. do that for a living. Um, but it is truly what, what I am passionate about. And, you know, let's say tomorrow, like, you know, the minimalists fade away and whatever, every, our book gets canceled and our documentary gets canceled and we have to put it out on our own, whatever. Yeah. Um, I would go, be, I, I could go be a teacher. I could go, you know, I, I could go do something else where I could help people. Yeah. And if you can get to the point where helping Ella find, yeah, what it is she's passionate about and then it's, yeah, that'll... She's going to figure it out, man. She's uh, Notoriety she, is not something for which one should be passionate, though. 
Yeah. And so it's it's that's a hollow pursuit. That's emptiness chasing more emptiness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's showing up empty and then never getting fulfilled. And man, it's going to be a huge recipe for that entire generation of discontent mm. because we all get our 15 seconds of fame now, right? Yeah. You know, the, the cranberry juice guy, the um, oh, yeah. uh, uh, dog face. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. 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 And he's, he was awesome. He created a lot of joy for people. Mm-hmm. And that's his moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because he, he was doing, he was doing, he was creating joy. Right. But other people then mimic that. I mean, we see how many people tried to copy that. They were just going to get attention. The guy from Fleetwood Mac. Well, did a video. Yeah, his was like a thank you. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he, he. I don't think he needs the attention. At this no, point. but it was just. Yeah. He, in fact, he created funny. a TikTok account just to like as a thank you. To for, put that on. Yeah, yeah. To put that out there. But then you see all these other people doing like, look yeah. at me, look at me, look at me. And if look at me, whenever I catch myself doing the look at me thing, mm. I, it's man. I better look at myself. I better yeah. look at me. I better look in the mirror. And realize that is an empty pursuit. But the, yeah, and this is what, you know, if you're not careful, this is what Ella will be steeped in, man. Yeah, and, and I think she's already steeped in it I'm, because our culture is steeped in it. Yeah, there's something about, um, I will get, I will go down the rabbit hole of the YouTube reels because cause it's basically. IG re- reels? <sighs> oh yeah, sorry, yeah, IG reels, uh, Instagram reels. Um, it's basically a bunch of TikTok reposts is yeah, what it is. Sure. And I get caught up in in it for the wrong reason. Some of them are entertaining, like there's some snowboarding stuff, and there is I'm trying to think what else I watch on there. It doesn't matter, dude. Like some guitar things, what that I'm really interested in. But 75% of it is like, look at me, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty girl, or I'm a handsome boy, and I'm lip singing a song, yep. and I look cute, mm-hmm. and it's just like, and I, I watch it because I feel. It's like I feel bad. I'm watching it for the wrong reasons with them. It's well, like, you know that it's vacuous, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, and I'm just kind of yeah. I, but I watch it, and, and it's like this. Um, it's like a train wreck. Mm. It's like, oh wow, like this is what your life is, huh? Just like little 15 second <laughs> clips. Like that's yeah. Wow. It's, I don't know. It's what weird. a metaphor. It's really weird. Yeah. What a metaphor. So let's strive to get beyond that, and and mm. I don't know what the next decade holds. But um, I'm grateful for the last decade, even with the pains and the sorrows and the loss, um, the valleys. Mm. There's so much to be grateful for. And what I'm really grateful for is, and I had this conversation with, with Jordan and and Sean and Jess and you recently when I got out of the hospital. Mm. Um, you know, the, I'm, often, I'm often thinking about meaning, right? Because the first 30 years of my life, I didn't live a very meaningful life. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do about that. I can't, I better not live in that past because there's nothing I can do to change it. But the last 10 years, I really have felt that I've lived a meaningful life. Yeah. I've contributed beyond myself and it feels really good. It feels great to be able to do that even when I'm not at my tip top best, right? Mm -hmm. And for you and I to be able to sit down here and have the the longest podcast conversation we've ever had, we're over three hours at this point. It's Mm -hmm. like a Rogan episode. (laughs) Um, I think it's been, it's been an amazing 10 years, man. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know how many more we have in it and I hope it's 10, 20, 30, 50 more. Um, But I'm looking toward the horizon right now. And I think there's, uh, 
there's a lot that still lays beyond that horizon. Amen. I think it's a good place to end it. How about we end it with some uh, some Matt Carney? Some Cheers to the next 10 years. Cheers. <laughs> All right, y'all. Here's some Matt Carney, Grand Canyon. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next week. Bye. Tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon between us. Tell me how you're feeling because I can't stand the distance. You know we started with love and it still is enough to believe in us. Tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon. The stars don't shine right from now with you. If we don't align right, you know it's an issue. Come a little closer, we can start talking. Sleep on it